Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back. Once again, we are less than two weeks away from WWE Crown Jewel, the penultimate premium live event for WWE in 2022. We have an absolutely loaded show for you, as we always do, breaking down everything in the world of WWE, not just on SmackDown and Raw, but also off of television as well, news notes and information coming out and surrounding the company in this past week. As I said, lots to talk about on today's show. Not only are we going to discuss a lot of the storylines and the themes moving into Crown Jewel as WWE is preparing to wrap up its calendar year of shows, uh, we will also be talking about WWE's premium live event schedule going forward. The Silver King actually has a little bit of news to drop there that we will share with you uh, before we get into the main event and the good, the bad, and the ugly. Speaking of which, we do have a new sound drop leading into the good, the bad, and the ugly. You guys can let me all know what you think about that after you hear it later in the show. Point is, we got a lot to talk about. I'm excited to get to it all, but I'm always excited to begin the show with a reminder for you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast so please, folks, stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, Vintage, Chris Vanini, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop a five-star rating on Apple. Take a couple minutes out of your life. Leave a five-star written review as well. Let everyone know why this is your favorite wrestling podcast, why this is the show you choose to recap WWE, NXT, AEW, get interviews, all that good stuff. Let everyone know why this is the show you choose each week, and we will read all new five-star reviews right here on the podcast. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. It's where we drop episodes as soon as they're published. We tweet with you guys all week long. Uh, If you have questions for the show, comments for the show, you send in a DM or a tweet. We will frequently read them on the show right now. I need to do some checking uh, while we're doing the show to see if I have any that we can utilize today. Some shows are very DM heavy. Others are not. We try not to go too long. We try to do a mix of the getting overheads, all of you uh, getting involved. So please bear with us kind of as we you know work through uh, the DMs on a week to week basis. Again, some heavy, some not as heavy. Also, though, we tweet live during all the major shows. We do pre and post show polls ahead of pay-per-views and premium live events. And we do live shows for you on Twitter Spaces. Our next one coming up will be ahead of WWE Crown Jewel two Saturdays from now. So with all of that out of the way, allow me to welcome in the co-host of the shindig, Vintage Chris Vanini. Chris, welcome to the show as we usually do. And we kick things off on the WWE edition. We do like a little bit of an overview across SmackDown and Raw. And I do want to do that this week and get your your thoughts on my thoughts, basically, which is SmackDown on Friday night. I was super impressed by that show. It flew by when a two hour wrestling show, when you look up and it's 950, you know, like you're almost at the end of that two hours. You're like, holy shit, where did this show go? That to me is always a successful show, even if you may not potentially love everything that happened on it, because it means you were captivated and entertained the entire time. So Friday, that was the case. All of a sudden, two hours was gone. I remember where SmackDown four months ago used to drag. This one was an awesome show from start to finish. Not perfect. I don't really think there was a single thing on it, though, that bothered me. 
Raw. Now, Raw usually drags because it's a three-hour show, and it's very difficult to get around that. You're almost never going to have a perfect three hours of Raw. But this particular Monday night, there was a lot I didn't like. Four of six matches had heel distraction or interference finishes. The other two were a shitty babyface win and a squash match for a heel. So heels won five of six, six matches, and none of them clean or in a way that would make you think better of the heel coming out of it. And the only face win was Elias on the entire show. I mean, think about that. You're booking a three-hour television show. You want the crowd excited and engaged the entire time. And the only baby face who gets over on the entire show is Elias. And people kind of wonder why this crowd was so dead for the final hour. Now, don't get me wrong. With like storytelling and cohesion, Raw is still way better than it used to be. But without having a main event title or a men's tag team title on the show, most of the men's storylines, they feel aimless. And this particular Raw may have been the worst, like, quote unquote, show of the young Triple H era so far. That's kind of the way I contextualize it. The moment of the night was probably Rhea Ripley in the first segment. The show peaked the first 30 minutes, and then there were two and a half hours left where the same thing happened over and over. That's at least what it felt like to me. And the entire show basically felt like a mid-card show because there was no main championship or challenger for that title on the show. Brock Lesnar and Bobby Lashley weren't there. And Rollins, the United States champion, all we saw of him was basically on commentary. So he wasn't in the ring cutting a promo. He wasn't wrestling. Like the biggest heel star maybe on the show right now, we barely even got to see. And there was no real, real men's main event. It was the women that main evented the show. But even the women... We only saw them backstage until the final segment. There was no Bianca Belair promo in the middle of the ring or damage control coming out and doing a women's tag team match. So I just thought the entire show, it felt like a three hour mid card show. And no matter how well you book individual storylines or how exciting individual storylines may be, you're not going to have a successful three hour television show when the entire thing feels like a mid card. It's the same thing we've said all of, 2022 with Raw, and that is it kind of lacks star power. You don't have a champion on there. Like you said, we didn't have, we didn't really have Bobby Lashley, Brock Lesnar on the show or Seth Rollins. It just, there wasn't a lot to work with. That said, they did put in an effort of, of trying to make something of it. I appreciated lots of backstage segments Lots, lots of Ms. Gargano stuff playing out throughout the show. So there was a reason to keep coming back because you might get another update on something as it was if going you were on. Into that, if you were into that storyline. Yes. Like th- th- there were things that happened. You know, they, they, they did uh, the OC had a couple of more segments mm-hmm. throughout the show. So so like they did. I liked that. I, I appreciated that effort. That's the kind of thing I do like on Raw. But that was about the only thing it had going for it. You explained all the similar finishes to, to the to the show and again the lack of star power i actually with smackdown i during football season it's so hard to watch it live i didn't i normally get to it on sunday i didn't actually get to it until i didn't watch it till after raw so i basically went five straight hours of wrestling so my view on smackdown oh, is man. a little bit uh That's is a rough, little yeah. bit um uh through a different lens in that sense it was fine but again We've gotten a good amount of Roman Reigns for the past couple months. So then when we didn't have him, it was like, ah, like, it's cool to see Logan Paul, but I want to see Logan Paul and Roman, which I I think we'll get this week. 
Well, yeah, so. since they're going to tape two episodes together, yeah. I would assume we'll get them on both. That would that would make yeah, sense. Yeah, so it it was like I appreciated the efforts put into both shows, but ultimately, what what does wrestling? What makes wrestling good is stars. Yeah, and we had Greg uh, Heminger at Heminger Greg. He wrote in and kind of was agreeing. He's like, tonight was the worst Raw of the Triple H era to this point. He goes, I think Trips has earned. The BOTD, I think he means Booker of the Year, which would be a Y, not a D. Um, but I'm, he said, I'm seeing patterns emerge in his booking that could become stale. And I think that's true. Now, WWE is not the only company to do heel, distracts, or interferes, gets the win, and do it multiple times on the same show. AEW, there was like an episode of Dynamite where just like Raw, it was the same thing. There were like five matches on the show. Four of them were heel, distraction, interference wins. It is a wrestling trope that if you don't like ever seeing it, then you need to stop watching wrestling because it's going to happen on every show at least once and probably multiple times. But on Raw, when you have six matches and four of them end exactly the same way, and again, your only babyface win is Elias, who is not getting good reaction since returning. It's just not smart. Like you have to, you have to be able to, when you look at an entire show from a booking standpoint, you need to say, okay, all of these individual finishes make sense. And on their own, in a vacuum, they all work. But what are we doing in a three-hour block here? Oh, wow, we have four of the exact same finishes. And wow, there's only one babyface. Maybe we take one of the heel distraction finishes and actually let the babyface win. And there's multiple occasions. Right. Two, in fact, on this Raw that I'll point out when we break it down in the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's two situations where heels won via distraction or interference, where almost 1,000% the babyface should have won the match for storytelling purposes and, and otherwise. So that's just like unforced errors is the way I look at it. Again, you know, on this show, there's a lot of, oh, I wish they had done it this way because that's what I would have wanted. And, and you know, that's how a lot of wrestling people talk about um, the, the product that they're reviewing, right? When, when they analyze it. Sometimes it's that. And certainly oh, I wish they had done this because I really like this person and I want this person to go over. But on this show, we try to look at, at it from a more analytical standpoint. It's more... Well, if they had gone with the babyface winning here, here's how that would have affected the storyline going forward and why that would have been better for the storyline they're already telling. And those are the instances on today's show that I'm going to mention where the babyface should have won or at least could have won on Monday night to not only avoid the repetitiveness, but also because it would have helped the storylines that they're currently telling advance forward. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. In, we're, we're about two weeks out from, from Crown Jewel. Yeah. It's kind of we're in that in between spot now, and just sometimes you get these lulls. You do get with two to three weeks before a premium live event, you do get these shows. This is not abnormal yeah. for something like this to happen. And again, it happens every brand, uh, every product. There's always a down episode like this when you lead into a, a special show. But what's going to be really interesting with WWE, and we'll move over to the news that I that I mentioned in a moment, Chris, is based on their upcoming premium live event schedule. They're going to have two massive gaps between premium live events from November to January and then from February to April. The February to April isn't as big, but that's a significant period of time where if you don't have special events and you're not building to anything, you can't really afford to have down shows because people are going to get really disinterested in your product. So WWE does need to be careful about that going forward. With that, let me kind of move into that news. I teased it on Twitter. I said we had some stuff to talk about uh, and I'll talk about it here. Uh, getting over was able to speak to a couple people 
uh, in and around WWE, a couple of sources close to the process here. We were able to garner some information about WWE's upcoming premium live event schedule as it stands, not just now through the end of the year, but now through WrestleMania in 2023. So let's go ahead and break that down. Now, you guys probably saw, if you follow us on Twitter, at Getting Overcast, a tease from us and then an announcement that Elimination Chamber is going to be coming to Montreal, Quebec, Canada on Saturday, February 18th, 2023. That's going to be the first WWE pay-per-view, whatever you want to call it, there in 14 years since I think it was 2009, which is really cool. Uh, WWE wanted to capitalize on the reception it got in Canada early this month. Clearly, the reactions they got to Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn in particular are, are, they were, I should say, tremendous. And the crowd was on absolute fire, both in Montreal more so, but also when they went to Toronto, it was big there as well. So them going back to Canada, being able to do a major show there on the road to WrestleMania, pretty big. And, you know, the one thing we can talk about before we move on from this, Chris, is they're going to Montreal, right? They're, they have a storyline ongoing right now with Sami Zayn in the bloodline, potentially eventually feuding with the bloodline and the top person in the entire company. You also have what we believe is potentially the build towards a WrestleMania feud of Kevin Owens and maybe Sami Zayn against the Usos for the tag team championships. Wouldn't Elimination Chamber in Montreal be the ultimate opportunity to either do Roman Reigns versus Kevin Owens, like the rematch, or if Sami and the Bloodline split at some point between now and then, Roman Reigns versus Sami Zayn for the title in Montreal. You have to do one of those matches there, don't you? Yeah, yes. And and, and th- those are the two those are the two options. Like, like that's it. Like you get you got to do one of those two. And you and have to save the go tag back team to, titles for WrestleMania, right? If they team up. Probably, probably, okay. yeah. So but but like we we said it a couple weeks or whenever it was ago, um that they need to go back to Canada more. Like, like when they right. got that reaction, I was like, this is like getting a European crowd without having to cross the pond. Like I, we were just like, go to Canada more. Like they love this stuff. So that's great to see that they clearly uh, noticed that as well. Yeah, no. So certainly excited about that and really excited for the Canadian fans who, when we tweeted that, were super excited. So I'm glad you guys get to see a premium live event. And it's also a big premium live event because this is going to be, Elimination Chamber will be the final WWE pay-per-view before WrestleMania. So that's going to create a 42-day gap between the penultimate show, I guess, before Mania, or I guess the ultimate show that technically would be before Mania, and then Mania itself. Uh, And that to me is outstanding, Chris. I've hated in the past where WWE has jammed that extra show between them. Uh, You would get one in like, you know, mid-March, and then there would be three weeks coming out of Elimination Chamber and then three weeks uh, before WrestleMania. I think it used to be called Fastlane is the one that they frequently used. I always hated when they did that because it either made what happened at Elimination Chamber irrelevant or it was just filled with rematches or it was kind of like it impeded a long-term strong build to WrestleMania. And I think by them, you know separating these out and creating that 42 day gap that really allows a full, complete, cohesive build to the biggest show of the year that you don't always get from WWE when you have three to four weeks between shows. So in, in the two WrestleManias 
maybe three, three WrestleManias that we've done this podcast. I guess more, more really two. We have hated the build to both WrestleManias. We, we, Last like, year in we, 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 was tough. Yeah. Yes, we're like, we, we know it's going to be a good show. Looking forward to it. But this build has felt terrible. The Bianca stuff is just dragging. They're just trying to stretch this out to get to WrestleMania. So the fact that you're going to have so much time between the shows in one sense worries me because they're going to have to stretch that out even more. Um, but on the other hand, it is something different and we haven't liked what they've done in the last two years. So maybe changing it up would be good. So well, I, my I thought, think I'm, I think there's good and bad from it. I mean, my thought is, and look, you know, not everything Vince McMahon did with creative was bad and not everything triple H is doing is perfect by any means. Yes. But if you're going to give me a 42 day gap between chamber and mania, and you have to pick one of those two guys to book that 42 day period of time. I'm going to go with Triple H 100 times out of 100. Like like that sure. if you're going to give time to build long-term storylines or continue to build them and and have them reach their climax at appropriate times and and lead into WrestleMania, I want him to have that amount of time to tell these stories, to start new storylines. Don't forget it's a 2-day WrestleMania. So you're talking, you know, they don't have to limit themselves in terms of number of matches, right? They can do 18 matches if they want. They can do 20 matches if they want. Um, so to give them that amount of time to build to what is basically a double or even you could call it a triple pay-per-view, right? Because most pay-per-views these days have six matches on them, maybe seven. So if you're going to go and do 18 at WrestleMania and you're going to give me an extra 12 days to do that build, that's good. That's good for everyone involved. It means all the storylines get appropriate television time. Hopefully, Chris, it also allows us to like have the Intercontinental Championship and United States Championship on the biggest show of the year, like defended on that show, which we haven't had largely for the last couple of years. Uh, it won or both, you know, in different uh, occasions. Um, so I like it. I I'm, I'm enthusiastic about having that type of gap between Chamber and Mania. But this all also impacts the rest of WWE schedule. Because if you remember last year, Elimination Chamber was in Saudi Arabia. And we actually liked that. Why? The answer is because it felt like it was a real WWE event and not just done to fulfill the contract. You know, th there wasn't Goldberg in the main event, right? We didn't get The Undertaker and Kane against Shawn Michaels and Triple H in an old man match where no one could actually move. It was a real pay-per-view over there. Did we like that it was blood money in the sand? No. Did we like that it started in the middle of the day uh, in February? No, we didn't. But... It was a real pay-per-view and it had actual impl implications leading into WrestleMania. So this year, with Chamber being in Montreal and there not being another premium live event between that and WrestleMania, that means the Saudi Arabia show is going to actually happen after WrestleMania. And you may say, well, how is that possible and how is this coming together? Let me go ahead and explain. So first, as others already reported before us, WWE day one in Atlanta has officially been canceled internally by WWE. They're saying uh, reports were that it's because of football in the Atlanta area. And that's accurate. There's a lot of competition and doing the show. You and I have talked about it for, uh, you know, a whole year now, right? Coming out of last year, there's New Year's Day bowl games. There's the college football playoff. There's every reason in the world why doing day one on a Saturday or even a Sunday uh, in that weekend just doesn't really work with college football and the NFL. So, but not only was it canceled, it has not been replaced. So that creates that gap that I mentioned between Survivor Series being the final 
event of 2022, Survivor Series War Games, November 26th in Boston, and then the Royal Rumble being the first event of 2023, January 28th in San Antonio, Texas. Now, we mentioned a 42-day gap between Elimination Chamber and WrestleMania. This is going to be a 63-day gap without a main roster premium live event for WWE between Survivor Series War Games and the Royal Rumble. Now, technically between them, Shawn Michaels did announce this last week, they're going to do NXT deadline on December 10th. And while it has not been confirmed yet, we can also report the expectation is that show is going to begin at 8 p.m. Eastern. Many were wondering about this because Ring of Honor is doing final battle on the same day. And ROH actually announced that they chose the afternoon window on December 10th because, Chris, they didn't want to compete with the Heisman Trophy ceremony. But what's incredible that they didn't think about is the Army-Navy game is also on December 10th. And Chris, as you know, the Army-Navy game gets five times the ratings of the Heisman Trophy ceremony these days. No one watches the Heisman anymore. So ROH chose to go up against heavier competition Saturday afternoon, and they left open this 8 p.m. window for NXT deadline. So I just wanted to add that in there. But again, the two things I want you to comment on, I mean, you can comment on that certainly as well. It's number one, the 63-day gap between Survivor Series and the Royal Rumble, which to me just feels incredibly long. Like, I don't know how WWE is going to get through that. And secondly, that the next Saudi Arabia show will not be held until after WrestleMania. And this will be the first time since Super Showdown in 2019 that the first show will be held after WrestleMania. The first Saudi show of the year will be held after WrestleMania. Most likely, it's going to come in late April or May. Uh, Backlash, if they called it that, would probably be a little bit too on the nose for the entire thing. But hey, you never know. So that's the scheduling information. I just wanted to break it down for everyone. And Chris, I wanted to get your take before we move on. That is a lot that that you just laid out out there. I should have broken it. I'm sorry. (laughs) First off, I like that the Saudi show is not going to be during WrestleMania season. We don't like that show. Keep it away from WrestleMania season. That's great. Fine. Good. Agree. Don't call it backlash. We'll see. Um, (laughs) They're going to call it. They're going to do it. I just know it's going to they're going to do it after after WrestleMania. They're going to call it backlash. Is it going to be WrestleMania backlash again? Do we think? I think it's going. I don't know. No, I'm I'm not saying like I know this. I have no information on what the I don't know when it's going to be. If it's going to be April, May or Mm -hmm. June, perhaps even. I don't know that that that's going to happen. Number one. And number two, I don't know what they're going to call it. But I would have to believe (laughs) I just there's something like in the back of my head. It's like it's going to be WrestleMania backlash. It's going. Yeah. As for the time off between Survivor Series and the Royal Rumble, we talked about it last week. I think if you do a special edition of Raw or SmackDown, a super show, something like that, like you can make a couple shows feel more important. And mm-hmm. kind of like that period when they redivided Raw and SmackDown and they had like uh, some, some special show only type shows and stuff like that. So it could do something like that. That is a long time. That is a long time leading up to the the Rumble. Um, really makes the Rumble the start of WrestleMania season and not anything before that. Uh, so it kind of shortens that window. Which and, it should be. Yeah. And um, yeah, surprised by that Ring of Honor move to go against Army Navy instead of the Heisman. I think anybody who knows anything about college football would know to do the opposite. But maybe Tony Khan is going to be upset about having a show on the same day again. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I think he's uh, tired of this fucking shit. 
if memory serves, that was his uh, his take. So scared about NXT shows against Ring of Honor. Uh, yeah, so I think, you know, your your points there are all pretty well made. Um, the only other thought I had real quick, just I just don't don't want to forget it popping out of my head. The other thing they could do instead of doing like a WrestleMania backlash or a backlash or an event immediately after WrestleMania in late April or early May, they could push it to June, which if memory serves back in the day, I'd have to check. I believe June is when WWE used to hold King of the Ring. And I think the concept that they did last year at Crown Jewel of doing King of the Ring and Queen of the Ring and having the finals there, the concept made a lot of sense. The execution wasn't great, especially the Queen's Crown Tournament, which was just an abject failure in every booking and creative sense. It was was horrendous. Um, But the concept of using TV time coming out of WrestleMania or a couple months after WrestleMania to kind of establish a king and a queen for for WWE and and make it a special event over there and even do it annually, given the royalty aspect of the entire thing. I do actually think that would work. So I'm curious what you think about that idea before we move on. Always a big fan of King of the Ring. Uh, They've mostly done a poor job with it in recent years. I think Triple H, a former King of the Ring himself, right? Uh, I have to uh, believe so, yeah would um would do a good job with it. Uh I I think he's someone who would definitely appreciate the history of that tournament and what it meant. And so I hope they bring it back just in general like I always do. And I think Triple H specifically would do a good job with it. And the women would probably have matches longer than, you know, 82 seconds. Yes. Something like that. That would also be be fun too. Let me double check the King of the Triple H one King of the Ring. I don't know. I have to believe the King of the He was supposed to he did, the king he did of not. kings in WWE he, he had to he have was won su- it at one point. He was supposed to win it the year that Stone Cold Steve Austin won it in 96. That was the whole they did curtain call that. punishment and all that. Oh, no, I'm saying he won 1997. Okay, yes, yeah. The year after. Have, as, yeah. as Hunter Hearst Helmsley, yes. Of course. There's no way the Triple H never won the King of the Ring. It wouldn't have made sense. All right, look, we got a ton of show left. We still have the main event, the good, the bad, and the ugly with the new sound drop to get to. Let's get started by sliding into that first segment I just mentioned. The main event. event. And we're going to do a double main event today, both from SmackDown, the Bloodline first, then Bray Wyatt. We'll start with the Bloodline. We had a scheduled match. Sheamus against Solo Sokoa. This opened SmackDown with the Bloodline at ringside. Sokoa hit a Samoan drop off the second rope with Sheamus selling the shoulder. Sheamus hit a huge pump knee. Sami Zayn distracted until Butch pulled him off the ring apron. The Usos and Brawling Brutes then brawled outside with the Usos dumping the entire announce table onto Ridge Holland and Butch. Sheamus then took the Usos out with a splash off the top rope outside. Zayn grabbed his leg as Sheamus was trying to get back inside. That created an opening for Sokoa to hit spinning solo and get the win in 13 minutes. By the way, another heel distraction interference finish. Uh, Didn't really note that. This is, of course, SmackDown, but maybe we'll count even more this week as we go. So that's the fifth one, at least, that we know of this week. Uh, Now, the Bloodline beat on Sheamus four on one after the bell. Jay stole a chair from Sammy. As Jimmy wrapped another chair around Sheamus's arm and put it on the steel steps, Jay slammed his chair into the other chair like four times until Sammy eventually stopped him. And it was later revealed that Sheamus has a non-displaced fracture near his elbow. In other words, he has a cracked bone that's not separated. There's, they don't need to put it back together or do anything like that. The point of this is to create a kayfabe injury that's serious enough, yet will simultaneously heal quickly enough, presumably for them to have a feud or a match of some kind. This was a really damn strong match, and it was also a damn strong post-match attack. 
One of the things that's great about the Bloodline, Chris, is they're not only true heels, they're also calculated and smart when they do stuff like this. Sokoa beating Sheamus is a massive win for his profile, yet Sheamus was completely protected in the loss here. My first thought after the post-match attack is that this might be the War Games match. Bloodline versus Brawling Brutes, Drew McIntyre, and like one other person, maybe Ricochet, who's kind of been involved in them a little bit. Uh, maybe with Sheamus then coming out of that, getting Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble for the championship. So you get a big Survivor Series War Games match, and then you're going to have that two-month mo- two gap that we're talking about. And then you either get Sheamus and, Ma- and, uh, and Reigns either at the Royal Rumble or perhaps even on that like Christmas SmackDown that they made a huge show last year. They could theoretically do that again. But that was kind of my take on what we got and what it might mean going forward for these guys. Yes, it does feel like this is setting up War Games, which I think would be great. It, it, war Games is four on four. Right. It's it's five on five, but they've done four on four before. Yeah. So you could like you could do you could do the four of them without Roman Reigns, which is possible uh, if he either has a match on that show or isn't on the show or you could do the five on five with him. But that feels like where it's going. And I'm fired up if that's it. That's it's going to be an absolute slobber knocker. This match between Sheamus and Solo was a nice solid banger like like just two guys who know to kind of beat the shit out of each other and <laughs> know how to take it uh so this was good I, I i like the interactions here i like that the brutes have become faces after the imperium stuff and and the only yeah, thing that changed by the way for them being baby faces is just who they're fighting they're the yes. same same people but now they're fighting is, bad guys so we like wh- which is good which it's is great good. it's great yeah because they don't want to do some giant character change or just it, it, they're just they're not hired guns, but they're just guys who fight. Sometimes they fight the people you want. Sometimes they don't. And it was great. Uh, that works. And it was great also that they kind of used Imperium almost as a transition. Like Imperium is how yeah. they turn babyface. And now yes. they're fighting the biggest heels in the entire roster. And yeah. it's just it just slid right into it. Um, but I do think that War Games match, Chris, if that's the booking, it would be exceptional because you have the Usos, potentially Ricochet, right? Sami Zayn, who can all do like the flying stuff. And then you have Solo, Roman, Drew, and Sheamus, plus Ridge Holland also, who are the meat of the entire thing. I I forgot to mention Butch can do the flying stuff also. So you have like four meat, four high flying, and a War Games match that I think people would absolutely go crazy for if that's the booking. Yes, exactly. And it's like, you know, we talked about War Games, Survivor Series. Will they have a Survivor Series and a War Games or just War Games? We, We don't really seem to know yet other than they will have War Games. And this absolutely seems like the place you would do war games. You're getting physical. You're injuring people. The whole thing with with the Brutes is that they get physical. So, yeah, that seems to be the setup. And it's a blood feud already with McIntyre. It's become a blood feud now with Sheamus Mm -hmm. them taking out his entire group. It's like ready made for this entire thing. And we're now a month away. So, like, it's way too on the nose for it not to be the case. Uh, Two more notes before we move on. First, Sheamus is getting married. So the injury angle was most likely done. Uh, to write him off a couple weeks, presumably through Crown Jewel. So congratulations, of course, to Sheamus. Also, did you happen to catch during this match? I know you said you watched it in a kind of short order. Uh, commentary compared the bloodline to the Roy family from Succession. Like it's about two years too late to make the comparison, <laughs> but they did. And Michael Cole compared Sammy to Greg and Wade Barrett said he's actually more like Tom, which is the parallel that I thought for Sammy. So I'm kind of curious. If you think Sammy is more a Greg hmm. or a Tom, 
Hmm. I think. I think he's he's like the personality of a Greg, but you could see him becoming a, a, a Tom in the end. I don't know. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go say Greg. I'm gonna say he's a Greg. Also, I didn't realize we 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 didn't open the show talking about this, but uh, could have made a House of the Dragon comparison in there too with that show wrapping up. Wait, but, uh, I did not see uh, the finale yet, and I don't also okay. don't know that everyone has. It's only been a couple days. We do yes. not do you know spoilers within like a week here on the show. So yes, um, please we'll, no we'll say anything more about that. But yeah, Succession trailer came out uh, Sunday. Looks good. It does look very good. I I so because of football, the NFL. Uh, I save House of the Dragon until Tuesday or Wednesday night to watch. I watch it either after NXT or Dynamite whenever I have time. I know that sucks, but what I, I also hate is people like what I also hate is people like you and some of your friends who uh, watch House of the Dragon while they, despite having being sports media, they watch House of the Dragon uh, while there is clearly a sports event going on, a, a major game, Sunday Night Football, and then tweet spoilers as if the people that follow them are watching it and aren't going to get spoiled by it when Sunday night football is on. The people are, that you, that follow you are most likely watching Sunday night football. Now, I'm not saying you're, you tweeted a major spoiler in particular. I'm saying right. you have in the past and others like you did this week. Uh, I, I, here, my general take is that if it's a live TV show as opposed to it comes up on streaming at midnight or it's a movie in theaters, if it's a live TV show, ultimately, I think it's fair game. But I generally don't try to tweet direct spoilers. I might tweet a meme or a joke about kind of something or like just an image. Yes, or something of course. You're not without, saying this is what happened. I'm going to ruin plot. it for you. But yeah, but, of course. but overall, like I couldn't. The reason I first of all, I don't really care about Sunday Night Football. Second, I would be I know I would be spoiled on Twitter anyway. So I kind of have to watch it live uh, otherwise. So that's kind of my um, that's why I do that. But when my if take it's a live my, show. In the end, ultimately, I think if it's a live show, I think it's ultimately fair. Here's my take. Here's my take. If you were an accountant or a lawyer or any other job, right, um, or wrestling only, your account was wrestling only, if it was the getting over Twitter account, right, and your direct audience that was following you were not big time sports fans, right, then you could tweet whatever the hell you wanted. I wouldn't say peep about it, you know, whatever. However, if you are a person who is heavily involved in sports, and that is the basis of your Twitter account. I'm not talking about you specifically. I'm saying people mm -hmm. in general, right? Uh, I don't care if it's NBA. I don't care if it's college football, NFL, whatever the case. And there's a major sporting event on Sunday Night Football, Monday Night Football, something like that. And there's a TV show going on at the same time. And you choose to watch that show over sports. It is, to me, a huge pet peeve that those people in that spe very specific situation, sports Twitter accounts, would tweet out things that are happening on this pop culture type of show when the majority of their followers are most likely watching the sporting event instead of the pop culture show. Again, I'm talking about very specific right. things. So this is a huge pet peeve of mine. I'm ranting on this. It has nothing to do really with you specifically. I'm just using you as an example for something that's bothered me for the better part of 10 years at this point. Do you think that's I, a fair, do you think that's a fair pet peeve? I, I, I understand, but ultimately it just comes down to like, these are the TV windows that we're getting get given. And for me specifically, like House of the Dragon Twitter after uh, after a show is very, very funny with lots of really good memes. And so if you want to kind of like be a part of that, you kind of got to do it in the moment. That's why I don't tweet a direct spoiler, but I'll 
do a funny image or, or make a joke or right. Like you that. mostly will do I like get a, it. a meme. But, you'll, yeah. you'll mostly do a meme, which like I don't love, but it's not the end of the world. But there's other people. Um, I think you probably know the person I'm talking about, but I'm never going to say their name. But there's multiple people, many, many people who just yeah. do. I can't believe this happened. I'm like, I, what yeah, the exactly. F? I, Are you I kidding have me? Noticed, like, that's such yeah. bullshit. I, I have noticed. I did. I have noticed that a lot of the NFL writers I follow will tweet that they are watching House of the Dragon when Sunday Night Football is is over. But it, it, not, none of it's worse than Lashawn McCoy uh, tweeting like a day or two after Avengers Endgame came out that Tony Stark died. So oh, <laughs> it always did I don't even remember that. Yes. Yeah. So first of it all, with brutal. a movie, with a movie, it's unacceptable to tweet any yes. spoiler until it's until it's streaming. And if it I, I go two. I, I go two weeks. I say two weeks. Two weeks after it's in theaters. Yes. Um. Two full. I, two full weekends. Maybe. Yeah. You know what? I guess. I guess period. that's probably okay. Like Endgame. Endgame. If you're a huge Marvel fan, you're seeing it inside of two weeks. Yes. I think that's that's probably fair to say. Not a day or two like Lashawn McCoy did though. Yeah. Maybe not until theaters because theaters is. I mean, a, a streaming streaming can be three or four months at that point. So yeah, maybe that's correct. Um. But yeah, anyway, it's a pet peeve. I went on a rant. You know, what do we talk about before the show? Began? Hey, let's not go off on tangents today. Yeah. We want to keep a show really short. I, I had this. I, I just it pisses me off. It used to happen with Game of Thrones all the time. And then obviously Game of Thrones ended and it stopped. And therefore I was like, oh, this thing's over. I don't have to worry about it anymore. And then House of Dragons starts and everyone starts doing it again. I'm like, oh, I hate you people. Like, Get away from <laughs> me. So I just had to say it at some point. If you happen to listen to the show and you have a sports Twitter account with thousands upon thousands of followers. I hope you heed some advice from uh, this pet peeve rant of mine. So I appreciate I appreciate at least the consideration. Uh, let's keep going with more, more Bloodline stuff to talk about here. Uh, the Bloodline celebrated backstage with Sammy praising Solo for sending a message to the whole locker room with what he did to Sheamus. Zayn wanted to call it a night, get them all to leave, party, all that type of stuff. But Jay wanted to stay and take out Logan Paul. Sammy said Roman Reigns doesn't want them to engage Logan. Jay seemed to understand, but he said, hey, don't forget, I'm a hothead, so who knows what I'll do. And Jimmy just kept repeating, like, my dog, like, as a way to agree with Sammy. Sammy would ask him a question. He'd be like, my dog. And I thought that was really funny. So Logan came out for the main event. Michael Cole sold the title match as potentially the biggest upset in wrestling history, which it probably would be. Uh, I mean, one, two, three kid over Razor Ramon is up there, but this would certainly be in the uh, conversation. Uh, Logan was a face to his home Ohio crowd, but he healed it up for the fans watching on TV. At least that was his intention. He called us dummies for not believing in him. Logan ran down everyone in the bloodline, insulted all of them except Roman. And then he basically asked, what if, what if I actually knock him out? Jay attacked him from behind with a super kick and a hip attack before Sammy ran in to remind him Reigns doesn't want him to attack. Jay looked ready to leave. Instead, he charged Logan a second time only to get knocked out with a haymaker. Zayn then stood there stunned as Paul swagged his way out of the ring to end SmackDown. So like with last week, this was just kind of like the latest continuation of the Sammy J situation in a, you know, with, with a larger storyline co- kind of like encompassing the entire thing. And that was obviously Bloodline and Brawling Brutes and of course, Roman Reigns and Logan Paul. Uh, Jimmy resorting to my dog to stay out of the situation. I thought that was pretty great. Solo continued to be impressed by Sammy to the point they're going to be tagging next week against the Brutes. So that shows even more advancement of that storyline where now Jay is going to see his brother, his younger brother, teaming with the guy he hates and Sammy, which is interesting. And the Logan stuff was actually really successful here too. You knew the knockout punch was coming to someone in the bloodline to sell the possibility before the crown jewel match. Uh, Logan also had full command of the ring, 
and the microphone. He was great. Not only that, when he was getting beat down by Jay, he was selling his ass off for Jay. So he was, he came across like someone who's been doing this for five years, not someone who's been doing it for five months. Credit to him because all of this stuff, selling, offense, promo work, it is not easy. And even though I know some people still hate the guy, Logan Paul is a total natural at this. We, we've said it for a year now since he debuted is that he just he just gets this. And something that really jumped out when he got in the ring to start, his acknowledgement of the crowd, the way he's delivering the promo, it felt it felt real. It didn't feel like scripted. It didn't feel like a lot of just wrestlers come into the ring and they kind of get into their normal cadence. It felt like it was free flowing and, and out of there. He's just really good command of the mic. We've already talked about how he's uh, figured out the in-ring stuff pretty quickly and it just works like whatever you feel about him, you know, and there's plenty of reason to feel many different ways. He's very good at pro wrestling and, and that comes into play here. Ultimately, like this main event didn't really mean much of anything it, it kind of it, it got the logan punch in you did some whatever but it was fun it was a fun solid finish to raw uh, to smackdown when you're not going to have roman reigns there there's only there's a ceiling to what you can do and I, I i think they got it so let's move to the second part of the main event which is bray wyatt and once again we have a lot to talk about here with bray i'm gonna just go through it all because there actually is a lot they kind of went back to some of the white rabbit QR code type of stuff. And there's some details to share. And then I'll let you, of course, get in uh, after I break it all down. So during Sheamus's ring entrance to open SmackDown, there was like a five second clip that interrupted the feed. Hidden in that clip were images of like a masked person standing in a doorway, a pentagram, some type of like goat looking dude sitting on a throne, and then a different person in a goat mask. I tweeted out the screenshots so you can go ahead and take a look at getting overcast. A couple segments later, Wyatt was backstage trying to finish his message that got cut off last week. Unlike last week, where he was wearing a plain black shirt, this week, it was a black shirt that had still images of it from Dante's Inferno, some some graphics from it that were on the shirt. Uh, Wyatt said revenge is a confession of pain. He confessed his anger, saying he surprised he came back from the place that it took it to him last time, took him to last time, which obviously was referring to The Fiend. He confessed that he's happy being left alone and out of the public eye, but he was also thankful that the fans brought him back. Then he said, quote, I know who you are. I know what you want. I know what you're trying to do, but it won't work. Then Wyatt confessed that he will do horrible things, but he will never feel sorry for them because he's just a servant now, one who goes where the circle takes him. And this time he was not interrupted. So then 90 minutes into the show, there was another broadcast interruption. This time it was from the masked guy that you know interrupted last time. And he said, Quote, why would you lie to me? You should never lie to the ones you love. And it ended with us barely able to see a guy in like a crocodile hunter type of hat saying howdy. Now, this guy was clearly Vincent, formerly from Ring of Honor and Impact. And there were rumors that he was backstage at WWE like last week. So my presumption is last week they were putting together or pre-taping what they did this week. And he somehow is going to factor into this. Now, there was also someone in a bunny suit standing in a hallway during this video. There were flashing images here as well. Uh, The video also had a QR code that when you visited it led to a redacted copy of Bray's psychological evaluation. I also tweeted that. You can read it for yourself. 
There was a phone number on it that when you called it, delivered a message. Who knows? Not me. I never lost control. Who knows? Not me. We never lost control. And this is a lyric actually from a David Bowie song. Now, uh, this is the second time that we've had David Bowie infused with this Bray Wyatt stuff. Uh, the form also said the patient was showing difficulty or had difficulty showing remorse and empathy in a conflict with social norms. Also that the patient disregards and violates the rights of others. There was also hidden coding on the webpage referencing the movie Donnie Darko. And I hope that you all have seen that movie because it's fantastic. Uh, but guess what? This, I have I have not. Okay, you should see that movie. It's wild. Um, but uh, there's a scene in the movie, which is the scene referenced uh, by this coding. It's a timestamp. And the scene is, why are you wearing that stupid bunny suit? And then the other guy goes, why are you wearing that stupid human suit? So obviously playing into the white rabbit and everything with Bray Wyatt. This was executed way differently from last week in that Wyatt was completely in control of his emotions during this promo. It's really tough to ascertain much from it, right? But the circle concept is interesting and it's been apparent in all material leading up to this and plenty of stuff that Bray Wyatt did on Twitter way before he even re-signed with WWE. It seems like the masked guy and Bray are in conflict with one another, either as like split personalities or a God versus man type of deal. This also sounds like Bray telling us, hey, here's the real me, but now I got to go be an evil monster again. And I liked also, Chris, that we got multiple segments plus another rabbit hole clue as opposed to last week where they shoved it together and we were kind of left wanting more. I wasn't left wanting more this week. I mean, I still do want more, but I didn't think they didn't give us enough. Where two weeks ago, I felt like they didn't give us enough. Uh, so this is definitely a slow burn situation. That's fine. My only gripe was the production. WWE played Bray's new theme behind his promo. And if it was just an instrumental at a low volume, that would have been cool. But it was the complete lyrical version of his track. And it was way too loud, which is like mm -hmm. rule number one of what not to do when using a background track. So I'm not sure how WWE production screwed that up. Um, but the promo was good. The storytelling, I thought, was very good and interesting. And even hearing the theme a second time, I thought it was way better than it was the first time I heard it. So go ahead. I laid it all out for you. Give us your thoughts on what we got from Bray Wyatt. Well, what you just mentioned there at the end was what I was going to start with was that it it kind of felt like that music was getting louder and louder. And then the lyrics came in and it almost felt like Bray was kind of having to yell over the music as it was coming in. Um, although it was generally easier to hear him than it was last week. That was my big complaint about last week was that everything just felt off in terms of audio and getting the message across. Mm -hmm. This message was better, clearer. I was, I, I could take in what he was saying. Uh, so, so I, I think overall the, Aesthetics were a bit better, though not perfect. The rest of it, I don't know. It, 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 we're, we're, we're back to doing re white rabbit QR codes. Maybe it's because I'm in the middle of football season, but I'm just like, I don't I don't have time to like dig into this. Just like when something happens on my screen with Bray Wyatt, then I'll pay attention. But it it, it is kind of surprising to now be three two two plus weeks out from his return two with yeah two yeah with not much known still we're still doing mysteries again so i i i don't know it's it's whatever it's fine let I'm me ask you kind of wait i'm waiting for let me more. ask you a question yeah 
not counting like the negative parts of the fiend, right? Which we obviously went over mm-hmm. Goldberg and all that bullshit, winning the title, Seth Rollins, all that. Do you like Bray Wyatt? Yes. Like, are you a fan of Bray Wyatt? Because there's a lot of people who just don't like this stuff, and it's totally I like, I, legitimate. I like, if you don't. Yeah. No. I like Bray Wyatt. My problem is we're not really getting a lot of Bray Wyatt. <laughs> like that. That's that's been the whole thing. Like is he's done an entrance he's done like half a promo and he's done a backstage promo like that's it like i i like i liked when when he would give his his uh sermons as as the as the the hawaiian jerk cult leader guy Mm -hmm. i like the fiend in general you know i i I like it was scary it was spooky it was like it was legitimately kind of freaky looking and it was something stuff was happening now sometimes he would go like five straight weeks cutting the same promo backstage and nothing would happen and so like that that happens Uh, i like bray wyatt my issue with what we've gotten so far is that it's just not a lot of bray wyatt that's fair i'm not criticizing your opinion by any means i was i just wanted to provide context for it right because no no if you didn't there are a lot of people there are a lot of people who hated the fiend there are yes. also people who yes. went who think the fiend is the greatest thing ever. I'm there, there's people the- who think Bray Wyatt in totality is overrated. Like they would talk mm-hmm. about, I mean, Ramblin' Rabbit in the Firefly Funhouse comes from IWC criticism of Bray meandering on and rambling as the mm-hmm. cult leader during all his promos and talking a lot, but not really saying much of anything, right? And there's also mm-hmm. people who don't even like him in the ring as well. They just think he's slow and plodding and not really that good of a wrestler. Now, I think that perspective of Bray as a performer can impact certainly what you feel about the storytelling and the work that he does on screen. So all Mm -hmm. I was trying to ascertain was what your take of him was in general to better contextualize what your opinion is of the creative that we're getting right now, because I don't Mm -hmm. think anything that you're saying is wrong actually by any means. Personally, it's hitting for me, you know, I would say 90% right now for you. Mm -hmm. It feels like it's kind of hitting 50%. Is that Fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, I think part of it is because like, again, I watched SmackDown after Raw yesterday. I'm just incredibly busy on the weekends. I can't really watch SmackDown live. And I've just got a million football things going through my head because of my job. So it's just, I, I think that's probably part of it, too, where I, I can't really totally 100 percent focus in on what's going on. No, and, and that's totally fine. Again, I'm, again, there's zero criticism of your opinion. I just wanted mm-hmm. people to understand you know, uh, the background, because a lot of people, if you are negative on something, they can just say, to you, well, you don't like that person. You know, you've never liked them. So, you know, of course, you're not going to like what they do. It's actually great, but you're biased right on the entire thing. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to understand as we go forward here, because listen, Bray Wyatt's going to be a huge part of SmackDown. He's now the number one baby face on this show, right? So we're going to be seeing these segments every week and it's going to develop extremely slowly. I mean, talk about a first match. I have no idea when he's going to get in the ring the first time. I just I couldn't even tell you right now. Survivor Series, mm-hmm. maybe they have to start a feud with someone. Is he right now? He's feuding with himself. So I don't exactly know how that's going to work unless they yeah. do a cinematic match of, you know, and they split screen it. Like, I just don't know how that's yeah. going to go down. So I, yeah. that's all. I just wanted to kind of get a better idea yeah. of where you stood kind of going into it. Yeah. And by the way, the, the, the Bray Wyatt promo got 692,000 YouTube views. Uh, far below what some other recent Bray videos have, have was, been. And far, wasn't the and biggest far segment, wasn't the biggest segment from SmackDown, believe it or not, Omos and uh, Braun Strowman? Yep, I was going to bring that up later. It was 2. like 2 million? 2.4 million. Yeah. million for that one. Yeah, I don't even look at those numbers, but it was, um, I think I got popped up on my feed actually at one point. I was like, oh my God, that's, I don't usually get WWE stuff on my YouTube feed, but that's interesting. All right, folks, 
That's the main event, Bloodline, Bray Wyatt, the two big storylines on SmackDown right now. We have put those to bed. Let us move on with a slightly revamped the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'm sorry, Miss Rosie Perez, I call a spade a spade. It just is what it is. But you can't give credit to anything dude says. Say dude to give you ice and you own some... Sean, it's time to wake up the dead. You sound a little naive in the articles that I read. So, so look, a uh, new sound drop here, a little Jay-Z, right? Blueprint 2, using the good, the bad, and the ugly, uh, you know, soundtrack theme with Clint Eastwood. We're trying to mix it up here. Is it as good as the other sound drop that we had? No, that one's not coming back, folks. Just, you know, it's not my fault that uh, he went and did what he did and said what he said. So that won't be on the show anymore. Hopefully you guys like this. If not, we'll try to come up with something else. Uh, but let me tell you something. Trying to find a thematic, um, you know, sound drop to move into a segment called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. and not have it be a Western, very difficult. With that said, let's move on, Chris. we got plenty to talk about from Raw and SmackDown this week. And let's go ahead and start with the Judgment Day. That is how Raw began, after all. Rhea Ripley came out. She said AJ Styles last week learned they run the show and Dominic Mysterio is all man. Finn Balor called it one of the greatest matches of all time, Dom beating AJ. And Damian Priest made the fans rise and respect the greatest luchador Ever. Fans were all over Dom when he said he proved the haters wrong because he's built different. And as soon as he said that, I think a lot of people missed this. So Dom's like, I built, I'm built different. And Ripley, like under her breath, goes, Yeah, you are. So Dom said he's this generation's Eddie Guerrero. Actually, Eddie was his generation's Dom. Uh, the OC entered with Styles saying Dom was more like James Ellsworth, which is a really good callback given James Ellsworth also rolled up uh, Styles back in the day. What was that, five years ago now, something like that? Uh, Balor reminded that he started the club saying everyone who came after him, emphasis on everyone, was in his shadow. That led Carl Anderson wanting to stop the talking and get to the wrestling. So there was a scheduled match, Finn Balor against Carl Anderson. Uh, Anderson hit his spine buster and later a running Liger bomb out of the corner as Balor sold a knee. He came back with a sling blade. Anderson hit a flying neckbreaker off the second rope for a great near fall. Balor hit a second sling blade and a shotgun dropkick. Anderson interrupted the coup de grace for a top rope superplex. Dom distracted. AJ tripped him. Priest threw Styles into the stairs and then over the announce table, but ate a boot from Gallows. Uh, Ripley pushed Gallows into the post and then body slammed him outside the ring for a holy shit spot. That was probably the spot of the entire show and it happened in the first 30 minutes. Dom distracted the referee again as Ripley ran into the ring and low-blowed Anderson with Balor falling on top of him for the 1-2-3 in 17 to 18 minutes. So a lot to go through here. I just wanted to combine these together, Chris. The opening segment was great, the way they all put over Dom, and they ignored the circumstances from last week of how he won. Ripley's line was incredible. Dom doing the Eddie comparisons was a really smart way to like enrage the crowd. He is getting major heat, some of the most heat on either show. The heel turn and separating him from Ray has been tremendous. Balor's comments about the Bullet Club were also a great blend of reality and kayfabe. And the match was great. 3.75 stars and a B plus for the wrestling between two old friends. It was basically flawless in execution. It seemed like the finish, this is, I mentioned this earlier. It seemed like the finish should have been Anderson getting up on Balor the way Dom got up on Styles last week. So a bit of parallel booking, especially given they have a six-man match 
set for Crown Jewel. So you want the baby faces to get something going into that. But I was fine with Balor winning and Ripley again looking like an absolute beast, body slamming someone gallo size. So if you can't tell already, this first segment, the match, everything that went down, this was a good for me. It's a good, and, and you're right, Rhea Ripley really is kind of the star of of uh, all of this. She She's not the leader. Like, Finn is basically presented as the leader. He's become the leader, yeah. But it also feels like Rhea is just like almost the muscle in, in, in a way that she's mm-hmm. getting these spots and stuff like that. I, I love it. It's great. She's in the China um, role, very much. It's yes, Triple H yes. booking China in 2022. Uh, I... I wrote this down i didn't say it the last couple weeks but i like the oc shirts they're pretty cool i, mm-hmm. I like the shirts better than the ones they've, they've had in the past wrestling was good you know these two guys go back a ways i i think finn continuing to say like hey i started this club i get it i don't know if the crowd gets it as much anymore um because it, it really is kind of a dated reference at, the, at this point didn't get it got zero reaction from the crowd when when when, when finn said it but match was good. I was at the moment. I was fine with the finish in, in the heels getting the win because this was the first one. Of it was many the first one. On, yes. On the show. So it didn't bother me at, at the time. Uh, one other thing, AJ kind of fumbled his promo a few times, but he did say to Dominic, you can't hide behind Judgment Day. He did not say the Judgment Day. I'm so aware. Point, so point in your corner for that one. Ding. Yeah, you're you're right about like the Bullet Club thing. It's largely because he isn't saying Bullet Club. He's like the club and the OC. And it's just like, man, I know they can't call it Bullet Club, but just call it Bullet Club. And like, it would be cool if he's like, well, you know, everyone has been in my shadow. You, Kenny Omega, Jay White. Like if he was able mm-hmm. to say all of those things, then it would really land what he's trying to say. But yes. instead, he's just kind of alluding to it, which I think, again, for the IWC and for smarter fans who know about this stuff. It's like, a, get you a little smirk on your face, right? But everyone else kind of needs it hand fed to them. And many people don't even know who that is. Many of WWE's fans don't even know what the Bullet Club is still, despite the club and the OC. They don't know that it was Finn Balor, Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows running roughshod, and then AJ Styles supplanted him. And then both of them get got brought up to WWE and then Kenny Omega. They don't know this stuff, right? So it's kind of tough to, um, and I meant, I certainly left out people when I did that right there. So you make a really good point is is really what I'm trying to say. But I think for this feud to kind of do it tongue in cheek, to refer to it, it's necessary because that's the whole reason they're doing the feud. It's Balor leading a new club, for lack of a better term, against Styles and the old club, which the three of them are older dudes all together, right? So it does work for me at least. Uh, Let's go to a really extended part here on women across SmackDown. And Raw, which, Chris, by the way, is a huge improvement, right, from the last couple of weeks where we've been very critical on the lack of time the women have gotten on WWE television. So we'll start with SmackDown. There was a women's tag team championship match. Damage control defending against Shotzi and Raquel Rodriguez. Shotzi jumped off Raquel's shoulders for a splash outside. Then they combined for an assisted missile dropkick off Raquel's shoulders. Eosky blind tagged for a missile dropkick of her own. Raquel got the hot tag, but quickly ate a flying tornado DDT from Eo. Raquel dodged her moonsault and helped Shotzi with a flip over inverted DDT that they've been doing. She did that on Eo. Dakota Kai fought out of an attempted Tahana bomb, dumping both of them over the ropes outside. Bailey then distracted Shotzi. That allowed Eo to hit white noise and her moonsault for the title retention 
in nine minutes. So this was exactly what it needed to be. Damage Control continues to level up their in-ring work. They're getting comfortable, not just being together, but actually wrestling again. I think everyone forgets Io Sky was coming off of, I think, ankle surgery. Dakota Kai was out of action. She hadn't signed anywhere. Bailey was obviously coming out off of surgery as well. So all three of these, these women, they re-debuted together. They all had ring rust. And Io and Dakota really had no experience tagging together. So this whole thing has been a work in progress. Uh, Io is particularly impressive now. She's almost back to 100%. Shotzi and Raquel looked like a legitimate team. They took the champions to the limits. Given this was not some highly anticipated title match, around 10 minutes I thought was totally fine, especially given there were two women's matches and three women's segments on SmackDown. So top to bottom, this was good. Yeah, it was it was um it was fine. It was good. They got time, the wrestling was good. I'm not as familiar with, with a lot of their backgrounds like you are. Um, but I'm I'm glad they got time. We needed to we needed to see these. We we got to give them whether they're title defenses or just matches. We have to get them in matches mm-hmm. more to kind of understand who they are. It can't just be their Bailey's lackeys. So that was a step in the right direction. I didn't think it was great or anything, but but it's a it's a it's a fine good. No, I mean it wasn't a great match, like a like a four star match or anything like that. But did you see improvement from them as a group? Yes, only because I just haven't seen a ton of them. Fine. Okay. Yeah. So, yes. You're coming at it from a different perspective. So EOS, yes, listen, right. here's the truth, right? EOS guy, legitimate case, best in-ring wrestler for a woman in WWE right now. Like in terms of her ceiling is higher than anyone else in the women's division. So that uh, is something you need to know as okay. she progresses, basically, is what I'm trying to get, okay. get across. And obviously Sasha Banks isn't there, but EO, EOS guy, Sasha Banks, Asuka, uh, probably one through three in terms of in ring, if you actually like, you know, extrapolated it and got them to fight each other and were able to see it, it'd be those three in some order again, if Sasha returns WWE. One other note really quick, just since we're now counting, because I wasn't anticipating doing this, this was now the sixth heel uh, interference or distraction finish across both shows. So four from Raw and two so far in our breakdown from SmackDown. So we're going to move over to Raw. We're going to stay with damage control. Candice LeRae was interviewed by Kathy Kelly. She talked about the craziness of going from NXT to becoming a mother to then debuting on Raw. She mentioned how the baby faces supported her when damage control booed her, like literally boo. And then Bailey just took over the interview. She kicked Kathy Kelly out of there. Bailey talked about their dominance of the division. LeRae said nothing has changed. EO Sky and Dakota Kai are still despicable people. And then she reminded Bailey that despite all that she's done, she's still not champion. That led to an off-camera attack because the tripod got pushed over and it was later announced that Candice has a shoulder injury. So now they've injured Candice, Asuka, and Alexa Bliss in kayfabe. Now it's kind of ironic that we've been talking for a couple of weeks about Candice not getting some type of introduction to the fans, only for them to basically do it. And I'm like, oh, this is great. They're finally doing what we asked for. And then yep. they ended it after 30 seconds. So that was a little frustrating yep. for me. Um, now, if the segment had gone 60 or 90 seconds longer, before they did the interference, then I would have been all about it. Uh, We could have learned more about her, maybe even seen some footage from NXT. That would have been cool. But it's clear, to me at least, that they're building a war games here. I think it's going to be damage control against LeRae, Belair, Asuka, and Alexa Bliss. The question is, who joined damage control for a fourth? We'll talk about that in a moment. And also whether it's going to be four on four or five on five, maybe Becky Lynch returns. But I thought this, the backstage segment, good overall. Great to show a little bit of personality from Candice. 
and that damage control, you know, really is out for blood. They want to take out all the baby faces on Raw. And Candice was kind of just sitting there for two weeks, not getting taken out. They finally decided to take her out. Yeah, but, but what I was going to lead with is what she said, which was, oh, we're going to finally get some backstory and connection to Candice. And we started to get that and then we didn't. And then she got beat up and went away. So it's... um. It makes sense. Look, it, it all built to kind of what they wanted to do, which was get Bailey in the spot where nobody can protect Bianca or, or Safer and stuff like that. So, like, it, it worked. It's fine. I'm still kind of eh, on, on damage control overall, but this was this this stretch of two shows was a step in the right direction. They've got some edge. They got a win in the ring. The the, the tag team you know, to this point. Um, so it it continued. This whole weekend was a good step in the right direction. By the way, you're not on an island there. There are plenty of people who just don't like damage control. Not because they're heels. They just don't think the three of them work together. They don't think it's it's uh, progressed any. I, I disagree with that. I like all three of them together. Um, for people who say that they don't understand why they're together. I mean, they've explained it on television 10 times. Like like Dakota Kai and Eosky. Dakota Kai was out of the company. She had gotten fired. Eosky was her contract was about to expire because Vince wasn't going to call her up to the main roster. And Bailey comes in, she makes her return. She, you know, is cares about women's wrestling and cares about WWE. They basically reinvigorated the women's tag team titles. Are they perfect? No, but it's better. And she put both of them under her wing, basically led to EO re-signing with WWE and Dakota Kai going from unemployed to signing with WWE. I mean, the story's there and they've told it to us. And I think, again, everything I mentioned earlier about the ring rust, the lack of experience from Dakota and EO being on the main roster. I think just now it is starting to come together. So hopefully people haven't like given a final judgment and they're still keeping an open mind because I think it's starting to work. I do agree there were some rough patches, but guess what? Judgment Day had major rough patches for months, Chris. And then what happened? All of a sudden, finger snapped, it changed on a dime, and now they're fantastic. They're one of the best parts on Raw. And I think that's what's going to happen with damage control as well. Yeah, damage control, it just, they don't really quite have a chemistry together yet as characters. But like you said, it can come. Judgment Day now, my favorite part of them is when they're laughing or when they're just like, they're like, you can tell they like being around each other. Mm -hmm. Like that's the feeling you get and why it works. Damage control, not there yet. But they could get there. Judgment Day is an example of what they could do. But I think that's what I've been missing with damage control is that it kind of feels like they're Bailey's lackeys, but Bailey has also lost a bunch of matches in a row. So it's kind of been a weird vibe from them so far. Yeah. And it's tough too. look, EO doesn't speak the language. So it's very difficult for her to like mm-hmm. show the same personality as people who do speak the language, but it would be nice if Bailey and Dakota Kai played off each other more, I guess, rather than each of them speaking, like passing the mic around, which is what Judgment Day used to do, right? Judgment Day would be one person talking, then another person, and then the segment would be over. Now they're interacting with each other and joking around and, you know, touching each other, putting their hands on each other's shoulders, all that. That's what we need more of damage control, the support within the group on each other. And if that happens, I think it'll come across better on screen. So it was worth mentioning that. Now we're going to stay with them because there's another segment to talk about. It's the main event of Raw, Bianca Belair against Bailey. This was a non-title match, but it was also the main event. Belair said a win over Bailey would finally put an end to their rivalry, and she was sick of people like Candice catching strays from damage control. She said their feud is bigger than the championship, it's bigger than ego, it's about payback, and she wants to leave Bailey with absolutely nothing. This was a great backstage promo from Bianca Belair. Uh, the match, as I said, was the main event of Raw. 
Good action both ways for the first half. Nothing particularly notable in that period of time. Uh, Bailey grabbed Bianca's braid and countered a handspring moonsault with double knees. Belair then countered the elbow drop with double knees and hit the handspring moonsault coming back. Bailey then hit a draping flatliner off the timekeeper's barricade. Bailey tried a KOD out of the corner, but Belair flipped out of it and countered with the Bailey to Belly for a really fun false finish using each other's finishers. Bailey dragged Belair by the braid, throwing her into the barricade. Belair reversed another attempted whip, putting Bailey into the steps. Io distracted so Bailey could hit an avalanche Bailey to Belly for a false finish. Damage control then cleared off the announce table. Belair took them out. Uh, then she grabbed Bailey through the ropes for a powerbomb into the table. When it didn't break, she then deadlifted Bailey off the table and did like a buckle bomb into the post outside and then dropped her over her head face first onto the ring apron. Io then speared Belair into the table. Dakota hit a big kick on Belair. The referee saw Kai trying to throw Bianca back in the ring. So the referee jumped out of the ring to eject both of them. When all of a sudden out of nowhere, a woman jumps off the top rope and splashes all three of them, Dakota Kai, Io Sky, and the referee outside. Bailey tried to hit the rose plant inside, but Belair actually countered it with the KOD right in the middle of the ring, but no one was there to count a fall. No baby face referee ran down. The woman, who we still didn't know, then suddenly ran into the ring and slammed Belair into the ring post before hitting the purge. And it was that moment when you see the purge where you know it's Nikki Cross. Bailey threw her arm over Belair. A new referee finally runs down just as the heel gets the pinfall attempt for the one, two, three in 23 minutes. After the bell, Nikki attacked Bailey. Uh, but just pounded on her for a minute. She took off her jacket, started slamming her with the jacket. Booze rained down and Raw went off the air with Nikki standing alone in the middle of the ring. So there's a lot to unpack here. Let's first talk about the match. Then we'll go talk about Nikki. So it was frustrating for the women to again get one wrestling segment on the show. But if you're going to do it, a 23 minute women's main event with your champion and the top veteran on the roster, that is the way to go. I didn't find the match to be spectacular by any means, but it was really well wrestled. Bailey still has a lot of ring rust. They both came out of it looking really good. Belair getting another excused loss makes sense because they're clearly going to do either a rematch or a triple threat here. So before we move on to the return, outside of it being the fourth and final heel distraction interference finish of the night for Raw, I did like the work. I like the general booking concept here. It was also Belair's first singles pinfall loss since November 1st last year. So a calendar year, the first time she was pinned in a singles match. That's obviously going to get brought up next week, and it's a solid talking point for a rematch. It better. So this was good. Yeah, it, it was um, It was good. And I don't... It was... It felt like a big deal at the end. And the confusion over... First, the, 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 the splash from Nikki Cross, and I'm like... Wait, who was it? I wasn't totally paying attention. I literally didn't Comment know who it was. And I should have, yeah. but I didn't. Yeah. Commentary, not just being like, whoa, that's blank, blank, blank. Because like we hadn't actually seen it. I like that they didn't know either. And, and so not until she got back into the ring did we kind of figure out who it was. And they kind of, so they timed that up really well, that production of all of that. And then when she went to attack um, Bianca, or, 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 when she went to attack Bailey at the end, I was like, Oh, this is weird. This is interesting because because first I was like, oh, is Nikki Cross just joining Damage Control or whatever? Exactly. But then I was like, but then then I was like, oh no, like this is totally different. Like I'm I'm confused. I don't know. Wait, why is why is she doing this? Like that's I want to get the answer now. Like like that was that was really uh, interesting. So 
I really like the finish. I know like sometimes those types of finishes, you know, impact your match grades or whatever. But in terms of just the booking, I thought it was super interesting, protected Bianca. And I don't know what it means moving forward. I, I think, do we think this is the end of Bailey Bianca or no, because Bailey won? No, she beat her. She just pinned her, the champion. Because, because they, so I, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll run that back. Well, we can get into it right now. I somewhere. wanted to get your thoughts on the match yeah. first, but yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it was good. It was fine. The, I really like the finish. Okay, cool. So now on to the return with Nikki, right? It's great that Nikki is back as Nikki Cross. She looked really good going back to some of her like independent roots. For those who don't know, before WWE and NXT, she was Nikki Storm on the independents. And some of this kind of looked like she used to there. The unhinged gimmick is where she like resides, where she, her character should reside. We saw it in Sanity. We saw it even after Sanity left WWE after they were released. This unhinged Nikki Cross is where she's at her best. The match with Asuka going back in NXT, I think it was False Count Anywhere, comes to mind. Folks, if you have not seen that match, it's on NXT regular TV, not a takeover. Go to Peacock, Google, find out the date. Go to Peacock, watch Asuka versus Nikki Cross in a False Count Anywhere match if you really want to see what this character is going to be about. It's fantastic. Anyway, I love that, what you just said, Chris. She was unhinged coming in there, and you're like, oh, she just wants to kick ass. It doesn't matter whose ass she's kicking. She's not going after the baby face, even though she did attack Bianca. She first started by attacking damage control. And and, and at first, I had the same thought as you. I was like, wait a minute. I think she's here to join damage control. But then I was like, wait, she splashed them. Why would she have done that if... She was with them. It wouldn't make any sense. Then she attacks Bianca. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. She is with them. And then she attacks Bailey, And I'm like, okay, no, she's not. So I just loved how I didn't actually know what was happening the entire time. But what's even better than all of this is what have we been talking about the last couple of weeks? I said, man, all of Raw has just been damage control and Bianca with a splash of Candice LeRae here. Mm-hmm. They stopped telling us about Nikki Cross. She's been gone. Why hasn't she come back? Like they were teasing it. Well, here's why. Because they want it to be an out-of-nowhere surprise. So they delivered on that. It's the correct repackage. She got her name back. And not only that, she's immediately a force in the division because she went after the champion and the number one contender. Now, they do need to pay it off next week with an explanation, a promo, a video package, something like that. But And we'll talk about what this could mean going forward. But the return of Nikki Cross was good. Yes, absolutely. I kind of already said what I want to say. You did. Yes, yeah. agree, so, agree with everything. You did. So let me go ahead and, and we'll move on from it. So now I do think WWE has some options coming out of this. I could totally see this becoming a triple threat match. Uh, and this could be the way they take the title off Bianca Belair, right? We talked about yes. the ladder match and how, well, they could just tie her braid to the bottom rope and Bailey could climb or someone else from damage control could grab the title and then give it to Bailey. Like there were so many ways they could have excused the loss to, to Belair, but the best way to take a title off a really strong champion is to do it in a triple threat match. So they could easily run this, for example, at Crown Jewel and have Bailey pin Nikki, taking the title off Bianca. Another option is the heels potentially corralling Nikki as the fourth member of their war games team. Because what did we just talk about, right? They're gonna need a fourth to potentially go up against the babyface team. Even another option would be, hopefully they fully repackage Dewdrop as Piper Nevin again, and they call up Alba Fire from NXT, and you could put them as a trio. So you could do 
Nikki Cross, Alba Fire, and Piper Nevin, that works as a trio. That's kind of a tweener trio. It can combat the heels. You could do a three-on-three-on-three War Games match, which is something that's happened before. Another option is you can put Nikki and Alba together and let Piper do her own thing. You can call them Crossfire. You're welcome, WWE, for that tag team name. So there's just a lot they can do with Nikki. And after two months of really boring stuff with the WWE women's division, especially on Raw we talked about, it's kind of great to have some intrigue here again. Yes, I am unfamiliar with Alba Fire. I just looked her up. I've seen her. Kaylee Ray, Kaylee right? Kaylee Ray, yeah. Yeah, so I've, I've seen her before. I'm just unaware of what she's doing right now. She um, was the, She's the longest reigning NXT UK women's champion. She's one okay. of the best women's wrestlers on the entire roster. And at Halloween Havoc this past Saturday, she lost the title match to Mandy Rose that everyone thought she was going to win. So uh, at that okay. point, you're yeah, like, well, yeah, since she lost, yeah. what else do they have for her? Probably a call-up. In my head. gotcha, yeah, I didn't. I wanted to watch Halloween Havoc. I just it was during. You college. need to see Halloween Havoc. It was great. Yeah, yeah I was. I was at TCU, um, Kansas State. So, uh, yeah, those are all possibilities. I think I'm just I'm looking forward to the uh, explanation from Nikki Cross. I you know we we know she's can be a good promo, and I, I think the edge we haven't gotten this from her in such a long time uh, that it's that it's uh, possible. So whether it's War games, triple threat title match. I, I don't know. I, I, I think all those are real possibilities. More than anything, it feels like it's going to freshen things up. So mm-hmm. it's not simply damage control versus Bianca and her friends, which I've been sick of for a while. Right. And hopefully, the, but ho- hopefully also some of those friends come back, right? Because we need women on this roster and everyone's either injured or out of action right now for storyline reasons, which is, of course, frustrating. Uh, let's stick with the women. We got plenty of stuff still to talk about from SmackDown. Ronda Rousey was asked if she would be doing an open challenge like she used to as champion. Rousey backstage was a pure heel, saying open challenges um, are to prove that she's the best, not to entertain the fans whom she owes nothing to. She said the fans don't want the best to win. They want their favorites to win. But now they're stuck with the best her as champion. Rousey was again asked about an open challenge, and she said she might do it next week if she feels like it. You know, you never know, Chris, what you're going to get when Rousey cuts a promo, right? Like sometimes it can pleasantly surprise you. Other times you're like, oh my God, she's the worst at this ever. But generally she's better interacting with people than she is just reciting lines. And that's what she did here. She was able to interact with someone. This did accomplish its attention, which was solidifying her as a heel. Plus the logic was right on and her delivery wasn't really anything to complain about. So was this great? No, it wasn't a great promo, but it was good. We haven't had pure straight heel Ronda in WWE, right? Like even when she was doing the the Becky stuff, she was still kind of a tweener. On the road to WrestleMania, she was a tweener between Charlotte and Becky. Yeah. This is really the first like 100% pure heel. I think that we've gotten from Rousey. Yes. I think that's fair. And I, I, and I, and I think it's going to work. Like I, like was, I thought this was a very solid promo. She delivered all the lines that are going to get you booed. You did it backstage. So you could kind of, work it out before she before putting it in front of a live crowd to do it uh it furthers what we think could be eventually becky ronda wrestlemania maybe um so yeah step in the right direction for sure i thought this was very solid good all right uh liv morgan fought sonia deville liv had a clear harley quinn thing going with her attire and her makeup morgan hit a backstabber but got booted outside and just smiled while she was selling Sonya caught her flying with a lifted knee and then did the yes kicks. Liv just asked for more punishment, even slapping herself and screaming at Sonya. Morgan dragged her outside, throwing her into the table, ring apron, barricade, and then ramming her head into the steel steps, 
all while ignoring the referee for a double countout in nine minutes. She immediately threw six chairs in the ring, put Sonia on the ropes, and did a superplex into the chairs. Then she crawled over to DeVille, smiling and laughing, and kind of like swam in the chair. She put one between her legs uh, with a huge grin on her face, like a masochistic type of grin, to end the entire thing. The crowd was totally into this. And while it did boo the countout, it immediately got to its feet as soon as she started grabbing the chairs and chanted holy shit after the superplex. I still feel that putting the title on Ronda Rousey was the wrong decision at this point, but it's great that there was a plan in place for Liv when she dropped the strap because this character development that I suggested but never really expected to happen is completely working for her. They're not doing an extreme gimmick like I thought they were, although that's part of it. They're doing a masochist type of gimmick where she wants the pain, she welcomes it, and it fuels her. Now, maybe I'm a bit biased because this is kind of what I wanted to happen with Liv, but this was damn good. And though I've seen people make Alexa Bliss comparisons, this thing fits Liv so much better than it ever did Alexa. Well, yeah, because because Liv is willing to do a senton off the top of a ladder through a table and a right. superplex in the chairs. And Alexa doesn't we never, really take we, bumps. Yeah. We, we never got that Alexa. So yeah, if, if Liv is willing to put herself through the pain, then that works as the gimmick. And yeah, crowd is super into this. Like there's no, it's not, it's not uh, cheap pops, but there's no better way to like be a face in front of a live crowd than pulling out the tables. And like the crowd is chanting, we want tables, we want tables. That's always going to work. So going through doing something like this each week, kind of building on it, it's working. Um, crowd is going nuts for it. Now, unless I've missed something, have, have they had Liv kind of cut a promo yet and explain why she's doing it? Or has it been commentary kind of carrying it? No, um, because what we've seen from her was Sonya cutting a promo and her attacking Sonya. And yeah. then this match coming out of it. So no, she hasn't explained herself. But you know what? I don't really know that she needs to because she explained herself before the Extreme Rules match. And she just lost, happened to lose the match. Mm-hmm. Um, the The explanation of her character is from the acting. It was the post-match, her laughing while Ronda choked her out in the finish, mm-hmm. her attacking Sonya, and now her laughing and going crazy here. And even the double countout, Chris, I got to say, didn't bother me. That's fine. Because it almost feels like winning is not the point which normally we hate in wrestling mm-hmm. but what we've gotten from Ronda or from Liv so far it's making sense it's working so like if you're going to do the wins losses don't matter this is how you it's got to be in the name of being hardcore well, especially when she just and, lost so the title works. because like yeah. it's a it was a down moment that flipped the switch in her head right so now her focus isn't necessarily the championship, because that's pain. She's focusing on the pleasure, which is her inflicting pain, right, on others. So I do think it really works. And yeah, you're right. Most situations, we'd be like, oh, double count out, roll our eyes, you know, whatever. But this isn't like a thrown into the, you know, over the timekeeper's area, bullshit double count out to do the rematch. This is mm-hmm. character development double count. Mm-hmm. I thought that was solid. Also, a quick note, there was a fire and desire line from commentary about Sonia. Um, you know, obviously that was the name of her team with Mandy Rose. Mandy did not drop the NXT title. I thought that might be relevant if she did. She didn't. So never mind. I just wanted to note that commentary said that and it was a cool throw, uh, callback. I was gonna say throwback. It was a cool callback. Austin Theory fought Mustafa Ali on Raw. Theory cut a taped promo wondering why he was even wasting time with Ali given he's Mr. Money in the Bank. Ali did get a new graphics package and updated gear. 
but it was the same crappy entrance theme. So I don't understand why they kept the entrance theme when they changed everything else. Uh, Seth Rollins entered before the bell to sit on commentary. He mentioned how Theory was a former disciple. Fans chanted his theme during the match and then chanted, we want Seth, while the guys were wrestling, which I actually thought was kind of rude. Uh, Theory hit a draping neckbreaker off the apron outside. Ali hit a rolling neckbreaker later in a tornado DDT. Ali avoided a 450 splash and caught a tornado DDT attempt into a neckbreaker over his knee. I said Ali, I meant Theory on both of those moves. Ali caught Theory with a backstabber. Rollins distracted the referee. That gave Theory an opening to kick the top rope as Ali was going to attempt a 450. And Theory was able to follow with A-Town down for the win in about 12 minutes. Rollins then raised Theory's arm. He mocked Ali. He threw him out of the ring saying he doesn't belong in there with him. Rollins then threw uh, Ali over the barricade and against the wall into the crowd. He celebrated as he started walking backstage. But before Rollins got backstage, Ali surprised by catching Rollins on the entrance ramp and throwing him into the big screen while screaming, I'm not going anywhere. There's really nothing wrong with this. It's just not what I would have booked, given Chris, we're two weeks away from Crown Jewel. Ali, for the better part of what, like years now, two years, has either been absent from TV or when he's on TV, losing. If he's going to get a title match, which is what they're building towards, then he should have been able to overcome Rollins' distractions, pin theory, even if he rolled him up or got a pinning combination, that would have elevated Ali. And then Rollins still could have beat him down after the bell and they could have done the exact same thing here. It's not like Theory's been booked strong since winning the briefcase. The guy had not won a match since mid-August. So if that's the case, why are you not letting Ali win here? So look, I thought the booking was wrong. Everything else about this was nails though. The guys were on point. The wrestling was solid. Ali looked competitive in the ring. The post-match attack played into Ali never giving up. So I'm going to give it a good overall because there was nothing bad about it. I just thought this and the Carl Anderson spot were the two spots on Raw where I did not understand why the babyface didn't win, particularly this one when you need to build and elevate Ali and Theory is the perfect person to do that against given the guy has not won in two months. So it was good. I was just frustrated with the book. Exactly. Like you got to get, you got to build some belief into Ali and surviving a post-match beatdown is not it. Like just give him the win. Now you say, well, should he be beating Austin Theory? Austin Theory's been, he's lost all of his momentum over the last couple of months, basically since Triple H took over. And I know he's had some personal stuff go on, so it's part of it. But like, he's just not relevant right now. So you could have had Ali win this match and it would be fine. I would have been much preferred. Um, I think the fact that you had people chanting, we want Seth during this match is kind of a sign of where these guys are right now. Mm -hmm. And which is why it would have been nice to give Ali some wins and give us a reason to believe in him instead of just waiting for the eventual Seth do something moment. So that's kind of that's on WWE for planning it that way when you should have kind of seen that coming. Um, But I I still think overall it was a good um, just could have been better. Yeah, I mean, the whole Ali gimmick is he challenged Lashley, put on a really good match. Lashley put him over with a handshake, you know, after the bell. And then he didn't get his rematch. And he complained to Rollins, who beat his ass. Then he lost a match to Austin Theory. So they've done nothing to make Ali seem like a credible threat for the United States Championship. And that's what you're building. You're building a title match for Rollins, which is the right match to build. And it's a great way to get Ali over. But you're not getting him over. You're not doing anything to make him look good. He should be the one beating Chad Gable. He should be the one beating Dolph Ziggler, let's say. Or, you know, someone else on the roster who can afford to get beaten. R-Truth. Put him in a 
eight-minute match or something like that. Or, or Shelton Benjamin, I'm sorry, Shelton Benjamin or Cedric Alexander. Let him beat people and actually like raise mm-hmm. his profile. You're not doing anything to get Ali over other than put him in a feud with Rollins in which he's not achieving anything to this point other than basically complaining and showing guts. And it's great that he shows guts, but that's not enough to get someone over as a legitimate challenger for a title. It's just not. All right, we'll keep going. Uh, back to SmackDown uh, for a couple things here. Uh, Drew McIntyre backstage said he got called to WWE headquarters where it was made clear there would be severe consequences if he and Karrion Cross got in each other's way again. However, McIntyre said that Brass agreed to another match. They said it was needed to end the feud and they will do it inside a steel cage at Crown Jewel. Look, good promo for McIntyre. He showed a lot of intensity and a lot of confidence. You know, having Cross get that first win They're going to give McIntyre the win back, you would assume, at Crown Jewel. Makes sense. I don't really have a problem with the booking. Is it the most inventive thing in the world to go from one stipulation match to a steel cage match? Not really. And by the way, does the steel cage even prevent Scarlett from interfering when she has like the mystic powers and she can do a fireball through the cage? Technically, it doesn't. So, you know, I don't know that it was the best booking in terms of like a match stipulation, but a steel cage match at Blood Money in the Sand. McIntyre looking good coming out with a win. It'll be fine. The promo was good. Yeah, it's fine. I think my biggest thing as I kind of just watched this was like, if Drew, they have a real issue, at least to me, for me, of making Drew feel important or relevant when he's not in the title picture. He kind of just does these gimmicky type of feuds and it always feels, it just, He's Drew McIntyre. You look at him and you're just like, this guy needs to be in the title picture all the time. He's wasting his time when he's not there. It's just what it feels like. And so, so you know, we're, we get cage match, crown jewel, drool win. That's fine. Is this ultimately helping Karrion Cross? I don't know. Uh, it's it's fine. It's fine. I, I, I guess I'll give it a, a low good. Well, the, pr- the question is, was the promo good? So the promo was good because we're, yeah, we're the not promo really judging the storyline. We're judging this. Yeah, segment. no, I mean, like it was fine. It was nothing amazing. It was you give it a low good. Yeah. All right. Uh, Ray Mysterio fought Ludwig Kaiser on SmackDown. Imperium approached Mysterio backstage saying Gunther would be the end of his career. Ray said it's actually a new beginning. But since they disrespected him, he wanted to fight. So that set up the match. Uh, great back and forth action here, as you'd expect. Ray got outnumbered two on one outside by Gunther and Giovanni Vinci. So he threw a chair that Gunther smacked out of the air with Ray selling it like an Eddie Guerrero finish. The referee then injected the Imperium members with Mysterio escaping Kaiser's finisher and hitting 619 for the win to a massive pop from the crowd. Really smart booking here to show Ray's superiority, yet excuse a win despite him being in three on one disadvantage the entire match. The wrestling was high quality. It got a solid amount of time. Both guys were looking strong and the right person won. So this was good. I do find it funny that Ray left Raw because of Judgment Day only to immediately run into Imperium on SmackDown. So (laughs) this guy can't stop getting outnumbered no matter what he does. But this also, Chris, is a great example of something they could have done on Raw in one of those other matches where the heels try to distract, but the baby face still gets up at the end, whether it was Anderson or whether Ali as it really should have been on Raw. So this is an example of what they should have done there but this was good. This was very good, actually. Again, wrestling was really good. Storytelling was really good. And the crowd loved it. Yeah, it was very good. Ray is as is as over as he's been in years. It's crazy. Like, just he people are going nuts for him. Him and, and Randy Orton. Like they, it's unbelievable. Ever since Dominic turned on Ray, like, 
both of them have really been elevated, which is exactly what you want from something like that. So, so that has really worked out. Look, Reyes, a smaller guy. Ludwig Kaiser is bigger than I think we generally think. He's almost as tall as Gunther. Yeah. So that, to, then see, to see him and Ray, you know, the size difference, boom, natural story there. You, you tell the story with the match, escaping with the win, like just very, very solid stuff. Let's move back to Raw. Elias found Matt Riddle with his bongos backstage, wanting to clear the air between them. Elias said he's a serious artist who promised to ensure that any interruptions of his music stopped at this time when he returned to WWE. But since Riddle was so close to Ezekiel, they were friends. He's going to let it slide from last week as long as it doesn't happen again. Riddle started playing the bongos and Elias kind of looked ready to hit him with the guitar, but he stopped because Alpha Academy stepped in with Chad Gable saying Elias should shave the beard and be Zeke again. That obviously set Elias off and led to a challenge later in the show. So we got Elias and Gable. Elias caught Gable doing a flip with a knee under the jaw. They actually butted heads in reality, but it was still a really cool looking spot. Elias avoided Otis into the post outside, booted Gable, and then hit his swinging neckbreaker finisher for the win in like eight plus minutes. Otis attacked after the bell. Riddle made the save with Bro to sleep on Gable and a springboard floating Bro on both guys outside. So clearly we'll probably get a tag team match next week. So the right person won here, okay? Because Elias just returned. But it's frustrating as all hell that Gable has not won a singles or tag team match on TV since June 13th. That's a third of the year for one of the few real tag teams on the roster and one of the company's most talented in-ring performers. Even if Gable is like the modern day Dolph Ziggler in terms of being the work rate guy who helps get other people over, let's not forget Dolph Ziggler actually won sometimes. He had championships. He had a world title at one point. Now, Gable did his best to get a decent match out of Elias, but that's really the right word. It was only decent. And as we said last week, Chris, Riddle completely reverting to this jokey, unserious character coming out of a blood feud with Rollins that totally elevated Riddle as a performer, it's a huge step backward. So all in all, I'm actually going with bad here. Also, if Elias was winning anyway, the knee off the flip should have been the finish. There's yes. no reason not yep. to just do that and not end the match yep. there and then still do bullshit and have him hit his finisher. It was an awesome spot that for Gable to kick out of it was just nonsensical. Yes, that's what I was going to say right there. So I should have won with that. I watched the replay of that several times. That was nuts. Like That was that was really good. And it should have won the match. I was very, very disappointed that they didn't. But look, Elias is back. You want to get him a finisher over. I get it. But that that should have finished it. I'm I'm giving this a light bad because of the way things laid out like riddle has completely reverted to what he was a couple months ago out of nowhere to do bongos and make jokes with Elias. like i'm just not feeling it at all like dude we just had seth rollins talking about how your family hates you and now we're just we're like no nah, we're cool like, it's fine like I, that's too quick for that elias in 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 riddle i understand it on paper it's not working for me. I, I think Elias, yeah, it's just, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Back, the backstage segment, Gable was the star of that. Absolutely. He really just commanded that conversation, delivered his lines really well, continues to just be excellent at everything he does. And yeah, he keeps losing because he's, he's elevated himself to a spot where WWE has decided that beating him matters. Mm-hmm. But that's sometimes a bad spot to be in because then that's all you become and then you get stuck there. So I hope Chad Gable doesn't get stuck there. He's very, very talented. He should get some wins. Elias, I like seeing him back. I think Elias is great. I just think two weeks in, they're just completely kind of missing 
what we like about them. It, it, they've totally missed on Elias. I mean, last week was not good. The segment, I got no reaction. This week, I mean, he's not good in the ring. I know Gable got the best out of him, but like <laughs> what gets Elias over is not his in-ring ability. So yeah, I mean, I can see where this is going. Tell me if you think I'm wrong or right here. Uh, they team up next week, Riddle and Elias. It doesn't go well. Maybe Alpha Academy actually wins and they break up after a week or whatever. And then Riddle and Elias feud, Elias turns heel. Riddle beats him and then we go forward. That's my guess. I think so. I, I, I actually do think Elias can work great as a face, but they know he works better as a heel and we'll probably get there. Yeah, when, got- when he came back, you know, the Ezekiel stuff, you kind of you had to make Elias a face when he comes back, but it feels like they're going to get him healed pretty quickly. Yeah, I think that I think that was actually the goal. It was to get that baby face reaction right away, which didn't work. You know, it's their fault, but um, they wanted initially the baby face reaction. Then like, they're like ah, we'll turn him heel in a couple of weeks and it'll be fine. Yeah. He'll be in his right spot. We'll see if they actually do it. That's just my like projection on what we've seen so far. Uh, Miz confronted Johnny Gargano, wanting to know more about the situation with Dexter Loomis, insisting he still has no idea what he's talking about. Gargano goaded him into going into the ring, so Miz did. He went over the whole storyline, saying the night he challenged Bobby Lashley for the United States title, Loomis told him he was the target because of Miz's mind for the business and that Loomis was jealous over Miz mentoring Tommaso Ciampa instead of him. Gargano came out. He said, that's all bullshit. Champa isn't missing. He's injured. Gargano threatened that Miz better tell the truth or he'll literally blow the whistle on him. Miz went off saying he's been telling the truth. He said three times, which led to R-Truth making a surprise appearance, doing his whole entrance. I thought this was hysterical. It was like Beetlejuice. He said his name three times. So he showed up. Uh, So R-Truth, after he does his whole entrance, the rap and everything, he says, okay, I'm ready to be told because Miz wanted to tell the truth. And then Miz insulted North Carolina comfort food. So Truth wanted to fight over that. Uh, Truth and Gargano acted a fool a bit together and we got a match. Miz versus R-Truth. Miz was distracted by a man wearing a black hoodie and gloves in the crowd. R-Truth rolled them up and got the win in two minutes after the bell. The hood was removed and it was Gargano dressed like Dexter Loomis, not Loomis himself. You know, this is nothing earth shattering or anything. It's mid-card comedy stuff. And it was a decent way to continue the storyline. 15 years after debuting as R-Truth, this guy still pops me, especially when it's like a surprise appearance like this or the stuff he yeah. did with Brock Lesnar that time. All in all, it worked. It was good, but obviously it wasn't anything remarkable. It was variety on a variety show. Yeah, it was mid low card comedy and it was funny. Like Miz is good in these segments. When, when our truth came out and explained why he came out and Miz just stared at him for like a good like five seconds and just went, what? <laughs> that, just, that was that was funny. It 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 was legitimately funny. Gargano, you know, he's kind of just floating around doing a bunch of things right now. I I don't understand the whistle. Like, I'm interested in if you don't tell the truth, I'm I, you know. So there, there's there's a truth that we don't know. That's interesting, and they keep referencing it. And, and Gargano keeps saying, "Hey, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it." They did it multiple times throughout the show. I was interested in it. But I don't get if you don't tell the truth, I'm going to blow the whistle. What, he's a whistleblower. Who cares? What? He's a whistleblower. <laughs> right. But is he but is he trying to say if you don't tell the truth, I will tell people? Yes. Like, I'll tell them the truth like that. Yes. It's just he's he's emphasizing the whistle too much. And he's like, he's like, I'm going to blow it. I'm like, because oh, he's trying to do because it's comedy. He's I, trying to do a comedy I, bit with the, with a prop. It's prop comedy. I, right. But it's like it. I can't tell how serious the truth is or isn't. So right. I just, don't know either. It's yeah. A little, <laughs> I it's agree. A, it's I agree. a little off on that, but I am I interested by the truth thing in the segment was funny. It was a good. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think the the comedy is pretty blatant on what they're trying to do. Is it is it highbrow or does he need the actual whistle? No, I mean, he could literally just come out and say, "I'm going to tell everyone if you don't," right? And it would it would hit the same. He's trying to make the whistle work, and the whistle goes woo, but it doesn't work in this particular situation. And it, let's keep going. We'll stay with Gargano. So later, Miz was angry that Gargano deceived him. This was backstage. Gargano pushed Miz away because, as we mentioned earlier, Candice got attacked. So Gargano's like, I got to go check on my wife. I, I don't care about you right now. We'll talk about it later. So he pushes past Miz. But as he does, JBL and Baron Corbin approach him, demanding Gargano show a little respect to the legend and Hall of Famer, saying Gargano would carry JBL's bags if it was still the Attitude Era. Gargano made fun of JBL's hammer pants that we talked about last week. And he also talked about Corbin's name changes and how he's still boring. Everything we said last week, basically. Yep. Uh, so this, this led to a match. So we had Gargano against Corbin before the bell. JBL said North Carolina is where dreams come to die, talking about Baker Mayfield and Michael Jordan as examples. By the way, putting those two in the same sentence is asinine. Uh, but then he put over Corbin. He opened, Corbin did, with a world's strongest slam onto the announce table lid. Corbin got you can't wrestle chance, which I haven't heard those in years. I don't know the last time someone did them. I know they did them for Cena at a period of time, but it was awkward to hear that, uh, especially because he can wrestle, by the way. Baron Corbin can definitely wrestle. Uh, he had a fallaway slam, and soon after a deep six, Gargano caught him running uh, back into the ring with a super kick. Then he dodged him into the steps. Gargano stood on the table and stared down JBL. He put the cowboy hat on. He danced like a cowboy before hitting a tornado DDT off the table onto Corbin. Gargano then set up for one final beat, but JDL, JBL tripped him on the apron and Corbin hit end of days to get the win in 13 minutes. There was a major logic error here where Gargano was ready to push past Miz to check on Candice. But then he let himself get sidetracked by JBL and Corbin without any physicality. They didn't physically get in his way or anything like that. He was happy to talk to them, but he didn't want to talk to Miz. Uh, the whole, if this was the Attitude Era stuff, it's already trite after two weeks from JBL. I appreciated the Hammer Pants call out. The wrestling was fine. But the, while the fans did stand for the finish, there was zero reaction. Not even like loud boos or anything like that to Corbin winning. Even Gargano didn't get significant cheers or laughs during his spots. The Corbin gimmick and character are completely dead in the water. And this is just one week after it basically started. We explained all the reasons last week, so I'm not going to go over it all again. But on top of Corbin's failures, JBL, while being entertaining on the mic, he's also failing at his main charge, which is getting the protege over instead of himself. The repackage has been bad. The segments the last two weeks have been bad. And again, JBL, despite being entertaining, has been bad. So guess what? This segment was bad. That is one big pile of shit. JBL in the ring is okay. It's working. It's entertaining. He's trying to hype up Baron Corbin. JBL on commentary is grating. It yeah. is over the top. It is nonstop just yelling over and over and over and over and over again. And Kevin Patrick can't get a word in. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's just so much all the time. And like, there's no levels to it. He's just at an 11 every single time with everything he's saying. And you're right. It ends up being about JBL instead of being about Corbin. And that is not what you want from this pairing. It's supposed to be about Corbin and it's not. I did. Um, we, 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 we haven't talked about, Kevin Patrick on here will kind of okay, give it a few months, but he did apparently not know the name of Deep Six. He called it basically described it as Ring Around the Rosie, <laughs> yeah. and and Corey Graves got on got on him for that to explain what it was. 
not great. Um, Corbin had new gear. It was better improved from same. last week's dog shit. Yes. Yeah, it was, but it was still kind of the same alternate song, still kind of the mm-hmm. same graphics. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. Have we gotten any promo from Baron Corbin about Pat McAfee leaving? No. I asked that because while Corbin came in the ring or, or while JBL was in the ring, one of the two, someone held the sign on the hard cam that said bum ass Corbin. And I was like, oh yeah, that was Pat McAfee's thing. McAfee's gone. Why don't we get some promo from from Corbin shitting on Pat McAfee. He ran away. He ran away he see he me again. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was just like basic stuff to like, uh, to like play into that or something like that. Very surprised. But my biggest issue with this is that it's about JBL and it's not about Corbin. This so was bad. Yeah. I was waiting for your grade. Uh, two things. You, you took my thunder on the commentary area, but we're going to get back to that. Uh, but good shout out on the guy in the crowd because that guy or girl, whoever it was, they had like, six or seven different signs. They were all yellow and they just had different phrases on them. And it's almost like he like brought them almost like they were um, like cue cards almost. Right. Where like just randomly. And sometimes it fit a match. Sometimes it was just like a random thing. He would just hold up a card. And like one of them was like the Creed brothers are awesome. And the other one was like, uh, like there was two, two or three NXT cards. And then a couple ones that had to do with main roster stuff. And one of them was bum ass Corbin to your point. I just thought that was such a like inventive and cool way. I've always thought it would be cool if you were a fan to bring a whiteboard in and therefore you could do any sign you <laughs> wanted at any time. All you had to do was erase the whiteboard. No one does that. So there's a free idea for people if you want to go do that. Um, but this was really cool just to have like pre-made, well-designed. So you could, they were yellow backgrounds and black text. You could easily read them. They stood out. Shout out to that guy in the crowd. That was awesome. And more people yes. should think about like the signs they bring and put effort into it like that than just like holding up a sign that says something that is, you know, black on white and it gets lost in the crowd. You never really see it. Shout out to him. Uh, you mentioned commentary. It's really struggling with Kevin Patrick across the entire show, but you are a thousand percent right. Having JBL on there, demeaning him for 13 minutes during the match, calling him Shamrock a hundred times, and then you have Corey Graves there, who's the heel, who has to heal it up even more. So then Corey Graves starts insulting him and referring to him as Shamrock. Even in kayfabe, the bullying is not endearing me to Kevin Patrick. And it's making commentary as a whole and Graves as the color commentator worse because he has to adapt to it. So JBL, the pre-match promo stuff, like he's really good at doing it, right? Like JBL's a great mm-hmm. promo. So Maybe figure out a way for that to work. Keep his ass off commentary. It, it's already bad enough as it is, and it's just making it worse. So I'm glad you brought that up. Our Gargano was frustrated following this after the loss. Miz came up with a get well soon card for Candice, saying him and Maurice wished her their best. Gargano said it was actually nice for him to do it, uh, but then he opened it up and he realized Miz didn't sign it, so he was insulted by that. Uh, Miz hoped they could put everything behind them. Gargano said if Miz doesn't tell the truth next week, he will. So at least we're getting resolution to the entire thing. We don't need to grade this. I just wanted to mention it. I like that they wrapped up this storyline in like a third part on the show. And it was also cool that Gargano was featured so much throughout the entire show. But Chris, to the point that we met, made earlier, having Gargano in three different segments and having you know Judgment Day and uh, the OC in three different segments, it was a lot of mid-card on the show. And this is an example of that why it felt like it was never ending. So even though it was good that they tied the storyline up and they had, you know, um, some finality to the entire thing, 
it was also kind of just like, oh, more mid-card stuff. There, there was nothing main event to chew on. Yeah, like I appreciated seeing them throughout the show, like I said at the beginning, but it was a lot of mid-card. All right. Uh, Santos Escobar on SmackDown was handed a glass of, I think it was whiskey, while sitting in his office. He referred to Zelina Vega as Legado del Fantasma's latest acquisition. She said they have no peers because they are head and shoulders above everyone else. Escobar then stood up saying Legado is unbreakable. It's an unbreakable force, I'm sorry, fueled by tradition, heritage, and culture. He promised to begin their legacy on SmackDown by destroying Hit Row, and they all did a toast together. This pissed off Hit Row with BFAB saying she had an idea. So there's a six-man tag team match next week with a surprise partner. I assume that's going to be Angelo Dawkins. One other thing that was really funny is uh, Zelina Vega, when she started her promo, she handed over like a bedazzled uh, video game controller to one of the other Legado del Fantasma members. It looked to me like an N64 controller, but it definitely could have just been like for one of the modern game systems. But Zelina has a Twitch channel and she plays video games and she's really into it. And it just was a very funny idea that her and Santos Escobar might be sitting there playing video games, dressed all like regal, right? And and drinking whiskey and suits and, and fine dresses. And then she passes off the video game controller and starts talking about wrestling. I found that to be really funny. Go back and watch it if you want to see what I was talking about. Uh, The booking for next week's whatever. But the Legato segment, I thought it was fire, Chris. It was the same tone as what they did in NXT, which was nice to see. It's going to be tough for Legato to gain traction as a dominant faction on SmackDown, given Bloodline is on the same brand. But there's enough that they can do with Imperium and the Brawling Brutes and some other things. This was really good stuff here, I thought. Yes, I pulled it up. It is a PS5 controller. Oh, PS5. That is a, that is a controller. It was purple though, right? Or pink or something? It's 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 red. Oh, red. So it's it harkened like back to memories of like that yeah, old N64 that yes. came in multi multicolors and stuff. Okay, PS5. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, I, uh, I I thought this was a great behind the scenes segment. I like starting with uh, uh, Santos Escobar to kind of make clear that he is kind of the one in charge because we weren't quite sure exactly. And then Zelina's kind of there looking spectacular in that outfit that you had. This was great. There's a lot of things you can do with them. Like you said, you've got Bloodline, you've got Imperium, different things uh, going on. You you want to build these guys up before you get them face-to-face with another high-level faction. You can have them beat Hit Row, that's fine. But you want to keep them away from the Bloodline. Probably keep them away from Imperium. So then eventually when you get to that point, it feels like a Wyatt family versus shield type of thing. Correct. Uh, Cause I think there's a lot of potential here for sure. And this was, this was definitely a good. Cool. Uh, so we had Braun Strowman and Omos went face to face on SmackDown. MVP walked out saying he's never diminished Braun, but standing next to a little giant like Omos would expose him. Strowman said if Omos wanted to prove himself, he could do it at crown jewel. MVP basically accepted saying it would expose Braun. Omos soon entered He stood a good bit taller than Braun face-to-face. It was actually kind of daunting to see that. He then took a step back to get Braun to jump, but when he didn't, Omos just shoved Strowman with Braun flying outside the ring. It's really tough to grade this, okay? I guess what it comes down to is that it was a bad segment from an entertainment standpoint. And despite these guys both being enormous, it doesn't feel like some monumental match, which is what you would really expect from something like this. So I'm going to go with bad. It wasn't insulting, but... Uh, you could tell they wanted to make the when they walk up to each other moment. They wanted the crowd to get a holy shit chant because it looked like that. Like seeing Omaz like a full head above Braun was striking. It like, was. I was into it. Like, again, all we want from these guys is stand in front of each other, 
do a couple of shoves and then you do your, your, a quick match. Like that's all we need. It doesn't need to be a grand whole thing. And and they gave it to us. Crowd did not react the way I would have expected. I like I thought the crowd would just be like, oh man, look at Omas. By the way, I love Omas in the suit. I think it's a great look. Can't imagine the the, the efforts have that have to be gone to to <laughs> get suits the like that. The miles of uh, cloth that needs to be utilized. <laughs> yeah, wool, but that needs to be utilized. Like I'm always I'm always gonna pop for. Guy we thought was big looks tiny next to bigger guy. Yeah. <laughs> so that I I, th- I thought it was I, I liked it. It was a good, not like okay. an amazing segment. I thought it was good. And like we mentioned before, more than two million YouTube views for this for this. So it definitely clicked in other ways, even if the crowd live crowd didn't care as much. Yeah, I mean, my take is this when you have two big meaty men standing next to each other. I just should not be bored by it. So if I am bored by it, then it's bad. That That's the genesis of my mm-hmm. take there. On Raw, we had Omos against four jobbers. Not two, Chris, for the third week in a row, but four this time. MVP had Omos hold his hand up to one guy's face, saying he appreciated their courage and hoped that they all had health insurance. It was, that was pretty funny. Uh, Omos chokeslammed one guy. He escaped the triple team. He booted two others, hit his finisher on another, and then stacked two of them on top of each other for the win in one minute and 45 seconds. There's just, for me, no effort being put in here. Why not get some big ass jobbers? Like get some big guys and let him beat on them. That would be impressive. But the goal is to make Obas look awesome and having him beat scrawny dudes doesn't accomplish that. And by the way, why has Omas's finisher still not been named? Or why not have him do moves that aren't the standard body slam, big boot, choke slam, finisher moves for a guy with his size and athleticism? This just remains one note. It remains bad, and it remains boring as sin. I'm giving it an ugly, which is basically my stance on all no, ugly. squash matches with the, okay. with the giant. Yeah, it's just complete waste of time. I like the face to face. That's about all you can do at this point, and I'm fine with that. I like I said, I gave that a good. I liked it. This, I don't. I don't care. I do. I've been given a lot of these uglies. Look, they tried different. Oh, we'll try forward people. It's whatever. It's an effort. Maybe it's a bad instead of an ugly. But I just squash matches against jobbers are complete waste of time. Well, I have a whole set of sound drops that we use for uglies instead of bads that I haven't been able to use on this show much. So I'm going to give you an ugly on that. I hate this. I hate this crap. Stop. Stop with the crap. If we can get Eddie Kingston on the show, it's a positive. So let's do that. There was also an LA Knight video package that focused on him walking the walk, talking the talk, taking care of business and being a megastar. He said there's a difference between being the game and running the game, which I thought was a really good line. Uh, This was good enough for a short video package. It's a reintroduction. So a mix of this and him winning short fights with post-match promos, that's the way to go. We got that last week. We got the video package this week. I maybe would have liked a little bit more. I'd like to see a vignette or two of him being a megastar outside of the ring. That's what we used to get in NXT. Uh, him around town, spending money, you know, girls on his shoulder, riding in the uh, convertible, that type of deal. So they're on the right track and this was good. Yeah, like you could, they pulled a lot from the NXT vignettes that they've done that you could tell. I think you, it'd probably be best to do one or two more of those fresh ones mm-hmm. uh, for, for WWE, but yeah, it was fine. It was solid. It was good. They, they they got the message across. That was a good point. They used a lot of NXT footage here. So get, you know, the, the continuity between one brand and the other, us not forgetting that NXT exists, like that's all super positive and it worked 
specifically for situations like this, where you need to introduce someone and everything mm-hmm. they've done on NXT now isn't forgotten. You're able to use it here. So yeah, great call on your part. Uh, and yeah, this was good. And last and certainly least, we got a third newer vic- viciouser Vikings Raiders vignette. It was the same thing that we've gotten as the first two, basically. They're shot well, like from a production standpoint, but it would be more advantageous for them to actually say things that matter. It's just a lot of Viking language. They say Valhalla at the end. Like, that's it. So no grade. I just wanted to mention it. I assume you have nothing to say about this. Is that correct? I have one comment. Okay. One comment. And that is, I, I guess I didn't really notice it until this week, but have you seen the show Yellow Jackets? I have not, but it's on, on my on list. I heard it's great. Very good show. Okay. Very bingeable show. Every It's like 10 episodes or something. All right, like maybe I'll watch it. Okay. Highly recommend. In in that show, this, this is not a spoiler, but it's okay. part of it is about cannibalism i was about and, to call you so, out on the spoiler but go, yeah go ahead it's not that but, no, but there there is a girl in the show or i guess we don't really know who it is or there's some there's somebody in the show who wears uh a set of antlers and they're they're, they're we don't really know the answer but they're believed to possibly be the leader of some group or something like that that's out in the woods so i got i guess i hadn't really kind of put it together until i saw this one but i got major yellow jackets vibes from that uh okay from that promo, which I thought was interesting. And I like Yellow Jackets. All right, cool. Yeah. So you're saying like it's a really good show, like totally worth watching? Yes, absolutely. One All of right, my favorite cool. shows of 2021. Oh, great. Okay. It's been like one of those shows, you know, it's like you put it on your list and you're like, I'll get to it. And you just never yes. do. I'm in a yes, time it right was now. Up- uh, sorry, I actually have shows I need to watch, so I'll put it on. I'll yes, it was up for the M- Emmys. Uh, there is a season two coming. So yes, recommend. Did you ever see uh, Fleabag on Amazon Prime? I watched like two episodes, didn't get super into it. So uh, it, I know it's popular. You know, it got all those awards and all that type of stuff. I Like I just said, I ran into yes. the situation where I've not had shows to watch recently. And I just was going through, it was on my list. And I was like, oh man, I don't think I'm going to like this, but like whatever. I put it on. I watched six episodes straight. It is hysterical. I did not think it would mm-hmm. be in my wheelhouse. Damn, the show is good. And I think it's short. I think mm-hmm. it's only like two or three seasons. So I'm excited to watch yeah. that. You got a, you got a uh, Yellow Jackets. Shout out from Chris Fleabag. Shout out from me. Uh, some shows that may be off your radar that you should check out. So there you go. Uh, Chris, look, long show. We had a lot to talk about here in the world of WWE. Just under two weeks from WWE Crown Jewel. Let me tell you all what is still to come here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. On Thursday this week, we will have our next NXT and AEW episode. NXT coming out of a Halloween Havoc show that if you did not watch, you absolutely need to. At a minimum, the open match, the fatal five-way ladder match for the vacant North American Championship, and the triple threat main event, Braun Breaker, Isla Dragunov, and JD McDonough. Great matches. Two of the best NXT matches of the year. You can make an argument, two of the best WWE matches of the entire year. Exceptional stuff from those two. Chris, you need to make sure you watch it. Maybe we can talk about it next week. But listeners, if you didn't watch it, go ahead and do so, and then go ahead and listen to our Halloween Havoc instant analysis that we published Saturday night on the podcast. So don't forget about that. Anyway, Thursday show, NXT, AEW, do not miss that. I taped an interview last week with Mr. Money in the Bank, Austin Theory. That will be coming to the podcast feed shortly. I have a couple interview requests in with WWE and technically AEW as well. We're still waiting for those to get filled. I would like to package Theory with another interview before we publish it. But if not, I may just run it on its own. TBD on all of that. 
Uh, and then next week, same bat time, same bat channel, we will be back with your WWE Crown Jewel Ultimate Preview. And of course, at the end of that week, next week, we will have your Crown Jewel Instant Analysis on Saturday. Maybe as soon as the show goes off the air, possibly a bit later in the day. It is a college football Saturday, and that really screws up our schedule, especially when there's a show in the middle of the afternoon that makes it even more difficult. Anyway, a lot of stuff coming here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Thank you all for joining us. Once again, a reminder on our way out that this show... So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify, drop a five-star rating, take a couple moments out of your life, leave a five-star written review on Apple as well. Tell everyone why you subscribe and why we are your favorite wrestling podcast. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops. You can send in DMs and comments we'll read on the show and pre- and post-show polls, live shows on Twitter spaces. Every reason to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Thanks once again to Vintage Chris Manini for joining me. This is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.